Do I have a button or anything for when I cough? Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Oh, no. Yeah. <coughs> it's natural. Yeah. We're not that high tech yet. <laughs> Start the Casio. Yeah. I'll just cover this. <laughs> well, cheers. It is another episode of Careless After Hours. We have a very special guest tonight. The Drift King himself, the owner, the Presidente of Lone Star Drift, pro driver at one point in time, Aaron Losey. Hello. Hello. The Drift Magician. Right there. You know, the King, King Drift. <laughs> the Pablo Escobar. Of the guy who's Oreo. running shit from the front seat of his Ford. Pablo Escobar sounds like he has more money. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. But he, he probably had a lot of fun cars, though. He made, he, like, $400 million a day. Wow. Yeah, that was a lot. I saw a meme once that put, like, how much he spent in rubber bands a day, and it was, like, yeah. more than the normal human being probably makes in a mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Always Just on rubber bands to keep his money intact. I haven't killed nearly as many people with chainsaws either. <laughs> so nearly he's not working up to that number, though. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's awesome. I've probably killed more tires, though. That's a good way to look at it. I would, I'd put money on that. Actually, no. I bet he did. Tire to people ratio? Mm-hmm. Really? He probably still killed that many more people? Oh, yeah, he killed a lot of people. Drugs, man. <laughs> Drugs, He man. killed, like, Drugs tens of money. thousands of oh, people. Shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because, like, the bombings and stuff, that's a lot in multiples. Sorry. Didn't think Losey that. didn't bomb tires. Right. So. As, a, as a pro, how long were you a pro driver? Um... I don't know how to answer that. If you say pro drivers derived your main income from it, I don't know if I was ever really a pro driver, maybe a pro event organizer. But when I was a pro driver, um, I would say from 2000 and I don't know. I can I can sum it up for you a little bit easier. When I drove a Nopi, I probably had, I had a $5,000 purse that I won and then I had multiple purses around the $5,000 range for each race I won and then they were supposed to pay out for first place $20,000 and then they backed out and of course there was sponsorship money that was significant as well but you spend pretty much all of that money racing so regardless of how much money you spend until you get up to you know well over $100,000 a year when you're traveling nationally with you know a pretty aggressive car you're going to be spending more than you bring in um but, you know, it's actually really rad because I was getting free tires and most free entry fee at that point, and everything was mostly paid for for one reason or another. So the money did go really far. Honestly, in my opinion, I see, like, Nate Hamilton, who still was doing stuff on the side. I feel like he's a pro driver. I think what you were kind of saying is more like your Von Gehn Jr. That's, like, his full-time gig. But I think if you're even competing at that little event, my mind, you're a pro driver. Like, whether you have to work at a shop on the side, like, you've made it and you're competing with the pros. So I, I hats off to that, but even more so to the guy that doesn't have to work on the side. Yeah, but I would I would really say that's like a, pro, I don't want to say pro-am driver, but anybody that's kind of struggling and they have to bring money from the outside, they quite, like, they haven't quite made it yet. They're still struggling and everything else. Like, when you look at JR, he's a pro driver where all his crew get paid. No one is donating their time. Everyone from the video guy to the guy changing tires to the, you know the spotter, everybody there is on the clock. Because when you have something like that that's that large and you want to last, you know, ten years, you can't ask your friends to you know work for free and do all of that work without getting paid. You know, it's not a real business. It's not a professional thing because it's it's like having a shoe store, and 
everybody works in the shoe store for free so your shoe store can you know exist that's not a real shoe store no one's no one's going to be able to do that for 10 years you know like you're just going to have to use your friends until they burn out and quit I don't know I'm bad at analogies but no honestly it's not a bad analogy it just it makes sense in my mind I was looking at it wrong I was looking at hey you've made it to the bare minimum versus you're looking at it well are you fully sustainable for an extended period of time so that makes sense even making five thousand dollars an event wasn't fully sustainable because I was my own spotter I was my own truck driver I was my own I wasn't really my own mechanic but you know my mechanic wasn't getting paid a livable wage probably he was just somebody living at my house that I was feeding um so that's not sustainable forever, you know, it's not a not something someone can retire on. And too many of us, when we're doing something passionate, we do it for free forever, and we kind of screw ourselves. And you need to be, yeah, you know, you have to take care of yourself, and you have to take care of everybody that works with you and stuff like that. So with Lone Star Drift, in the beginning, nobody got paid, I didn't get paid, I didn't get paid for the first 10 years I did it. Uh, volunteer staff didn't get paid. They might get free food and some stickers and a t-shirt. And now it's completely different. You know, everybody gets paid and they don't go broke working with us so that we can have the same media guys over and over and over, the same staff members. If you notice, it's always the same guys and they travel from city to city, the same gate person, you know, like everybody kind of sticks around. So it really helps out treating it more professional like a business and making sure you charge enough for the product and figure out your business plan and make sure that it's something that can last, you know, long enough to keep you interested and not burn yourself and your friends out. Because like right now with my YouTube channel, the YouTube channel for Lone Star Drift is heavily underwater, obviously. It does not make money. It requires me working for free for obscene amounts of hours. And, you know, people do get paid helping me and stuff, but they don't get paid enough for their time and their equipment and everything else. Um, so I'm burning out on it really bad. I haven't made a video in like a month. Like you can't force, like I can't force myself to make a video at the moment. And if I was paid for my time a bit better so that I wasn't losing money every second I was working on the channel, it would be rad. But I still love the channel and I'm still going to continue it and I'm going to get a second wind and like get back into it and try really hard. But it's just another analogy of like the channel's not a professional thing. So it's very hard to be able to put so, you know, like 40 hours a week into a stupid YouTube channel that mostly just gets me at best some free trips and lots of friends and some notoriety and things like that. But it doesn't help you pay the bills. does not help me pay the bills. It's the opposite. I put a lot of money into that channel that does not return to me. I, so kind of going back into the Lone Star thing, how many years have you been doing it versus how many years you feel like you got into the, the flow of it kind of being sustainable, you're paying everybody, and it's now... A more smooth business. Okay. In 2004, I started hosting events because my spouse at the time took me to a Formula D event. I thought it was rad. And before that, I'd kind of been street drifting and having fun and just like sliding around at night. But people started wrecking cars and doing bad illegal things. And I thought we should kind of take this a little bit more legitimate because no one's learning. They're just wrecking their cars and quitting. And it's not really working out all that well. Like people were not getting better. And because there was no one to teach us, it would take us six months to learn how to you know, pull an e-brake because there was no one around me I could ask how to use an e-brake. I just didn't even know to push in the clutch originally because we'd never, you know, like, there wasn't YouTube. There wasn't anything to watch. Um, so I started hosting events in 2004. I was making very good money in real estate, so I didn't worry about money. The events were, I think, 20 bucks to drive and free to spectate. Um, 
they actually got too big too fast and I was losing a lot of money because the spectators that don't pay to get in don't respect anything and they trash the venues and they're a pain in the butt to deal with. So we slowly raised the prices on spectating to like $5 and like it still didn't make any money and I did that probably for, I don't know, like 10 years and we were just kind of throwing events for fun and there'd be 10 of us out there screwing around. There was a good contingent of drivers back then that were really good tandem guys from Texas that went around the country and we were a good group of guys. the Tyler Cox and Russell Walker and Stuart Leesk and a few other guys. And finally, um, at some point, I figured we need to... Can I cuss? Yeah. Shit or get off the pot. <laughs> I love um, that term. Yeah. I use that every day. I figured I should either quit or like take it a bit more seriously. So around the 2014 mark, maybe, I started to take the events much more seriously and focus on media, focus on running it more like a business... Because as long as I was losing money at, you know, at every event, I didn't really want to do it very badly. And it was hard for me to sit around and pick up trash all the time. And you know, like I'd done some large events as far back as 2009 where they'd have like a $65,000 budget for a single day. Um, but it was painful you know, doing that kind of stuff when you lose money on everything. Um, and that was mostly the money that came from Import Reactor for that one. It was a really cool nighttime event down in Houston. And I was contracted by Red Bull and some other stuff. But anyways, around 2014, I started taking it really seriously and was like, I'm going to build this up. I'm going to bring in drivers from around the world. We're going to you know, really focus on having really fun events, bring in barriers, um, put in a lot of media so that drivers feel excited and like spectators are more excited. Kind of start telling a story about the entire thing. And slowly I'm getting better. I'm putting all the media together and focusing on like a YouTube channel so we have one cohesive storyline. We have our own like thematic thing through Texas where we're the series that's all about fun. We have two day party events, you know, everybody's drunk and camps out and does all this fun stuff. And no one else in drifting around the country does any of that kind of stuff. Um, No one is, they're all about, you know, serious race car stuff like, we're. We're going to go win. We're going to beat everybody like drag racers. And Texas brings it from a completely different direction where we're all about fun. We're about camaraderie. We're not about being competitive against each other. We want to drive with each other without like being against each other. And through all that kind of stuff, I made it a business to where it kind of is today. Maybe it was maybe 2013 or something. I don't know when I got serious, but it's been you know four or five years maybe tops that I've been this serious about it. And we're growing pretty rapidly. I travel the planet now. Um, I've got some amazing prizes that are pretty darn spectacular. Like for Texas Street Legal, the winner gets taken all the way to Japan. They're given a stack of tires. They're given a right-hand drive Sylvia, which if you guys know what that is, that's pretty rad. It's a like it's a fancy right-hand drive um, 240SX type vehicle in Japan. That's a turbo four-cylinder. That's kind of you know like the holy grail of drifting here. Um, at the best tracks in the world where you can drift for 12 to 14 days straight. We're there for two weeks, you know, in the heart of the mountains of Japan. Uh, if you go to YouTube uh, Lone Star Drift channel, you can see that. You can search Lone Star Drift Ebisu or Lone Star Drift Japan, and you can see documentaries we've made and all kinds of cool track stuff. You can get an idea of it. But basically, it's just like the most amazing adventure on the planet for drifting, and we take you there if you win our series. And then for the person that wins our Pro-Am series, we try and transition them into like a Pro Formula D driver. 
but that's a much more difficult thing because I can't just turn key hand somebody something like that. That's like it a career work. thing, yeah. Yeah, that's like a a poke yourself in the eye career. It's incredibly so, expensive and difficult. Have you had anyone successful kind of go through that program? Chelsea Dunofa did. Chelsea was our first and only really successful Texas um, Formula D guy. That's not discounting anybody else. It's just he's the one that was the most successful and kind of our poster boy. And he realistically wasn't even Texas. We just kind of claim him because he got his Formula D license through us. But he was an East Coast driver and lived in Texas because his mother lives in Texas and was a good friend of mine. And we traveled around on the same three-car wedge trailer for many years together. And um, he's been really good. And I think the next one that's going to come out of Lone Star Drift for next year, if you also look at our Japan content, you can see is David Mesker. Um, he's... Chelsea was like scrappy hustler, like grassroots as can be, like makes it happen. And uh, that is not an easy thing to do. You have to have so much passion and grit. Um, not many people are born with that much passion or grit in them. Like if he had to sleep on the floor for six weeks and like brush his teeth with like sandpaper, that's what he did. Whereas, you know, normal people don't do that kind of stuff. They don't have the grit to get through that. Um, David Mesker is the opposite end of the spectrum. He has the talent of somebody like Chelsea, but instead of having the grit, he has zero grit, but he has plenty of money. Um, so he has the financial backing to be able to do it without coming at it with sponsors or, you know, the hustle or anything else. Um, and that's a much easier thing to replicate than the grit. The grit is, you guys know, that's not a normal thing in life. How many of us would go without air conditioning to make our, like, our dreams come true <laughs> for an extended period of time like we can all say we'll do it right now but through the seasons the ups and downs the extra tired nights the low literally through the fire yeah. you find out who you know is it okay is it a passion or is it something you like to do is it a passion or is it something that you're only good at on the weekends you know um i saw metzger at round one and i don't come from a big drift background but mm -hmm. i just saw the way he took like the the hot laps and how he took comp and oh man he's just he's slick Rick out there like he's he's Hollywood like he he has the talent and he has everything and it makes me want to put a GoPro inside of his car and just see him like one hand and you know just all this stuff because he makes it look that easy yeah and he's that talented and really cool guy to be around too you know but. I saw him at round one, and I thought, man, this dude is doing big stuff. <laughs> I mean, he just he has, has an 18 talent. wheeler now, so I hope so. Yeah, yeah. A double <laughs> car stacker 18 wheeler with the wheel changer inside of it, the little cabin. Yep, RV that, inside. That thing is lucky. I saw that thing in round four. I was like, wow. wow. How, many your, trailer. how many of your people know what drifting is? Uh, I would say on our podcast audience would be our more inner circle at this point and mm -hmm. then the younger because I think the younger generation stops at the Instagram level I think it's our older attention and older audience that's going to go through and go to the podcast and actually listen to it on the site Okay. so the younger generation is going to be like the more supermoto guys that's where our Instagram following would come with they all know what drifting is though I would say for the most part then. yeah yeah I hope they build lots of supermoto tracks in the world so we can steal them and drift on them. <laughs> good drift tracks. I totally agree. Really? That's what English Town originally was, I think. Really? English Town, where's that at? Um, English Town is the name of a track up north 
That's where Chelsea does a lot of his video, like reverse entry stuff. You've seen any of those viral clips. Right. Well, while we're on the subject, what's no, your favorite? But close. Oh, I'm sorry. That's out at Park in Oregon. Man, I thought I had it. Or Washington. What's your favorite wrong. track? Oh. Ooh, my favorite track? Like, like ever? And then your favorite track to go to Lone Star Drift? Okay, this is going to be a roundabout answer. So the question is, what is my favorite drifting track? And the answer is something you wouldn't expect. The favorite drifting track has nothing to do with the track. It's if your friends are there with you. Drifting is only fun if your friends are there and you're getting to play with your friends in a really fun, like, friendly environment where you feel comfortable and you don't feel, like, rushed or shitty about yourself or anything else. So Circuit of Americas is a huge, fancy F1 track in Texas that's super expensive and everything and probably, like, the pinnacle of a lot of people's driving, if you know what I mean, in their brains. But it would be a terrible drifting track because we wouldn't be able to go off, we wouldn't be able to have fun, we wouldn't be able to be ourselves, and it would be miserable. Um, so an amazing track does not constitute a good place that I would have fun. The most fun I've probably ever had is like Mineral Wells, which is a huge skid pad because mm-hmm. we can be ourselves, we can camp, we can do whatever we want. You know, we can get drunk on Saturday night and goof around with our friends. No one really jerks with us there, and it's amazing. Um, but the best drifting I've probably ever done for track stuff is Ebisu in Japan, which is the same kind of free spirit thing as Mineral Wells, where you don't have to feel bad to be a drifter or that you're tearing something up or, you know, that you're not good enough to be at a cool facility. And I have plenty of my friends with me and I have an environment where I can drift 14 days in a row. Um, all I have to do is get all the way there and have my car there, which it's stored there, so it's super easy. And since I'm older, I'm not a young kid anymore, it's not so difficult for me to buy a plane ticket to Japan, you know. If I was a 16 to 18 or 25-year-old kid, it would be a lot more difficult. But I'm a single guy right now um, that's over 30, so it's not a big stretch for me to own cars overseas and keep them at a track and have an amazing time and it not to, like, kill me financially. So that's my favorite track in the world to drift because I have my friends and, you know, it's an amazing place. We, we had uh, Fielding Shredder on, mm-hmm. um, and he he talked about Ebisu on on his pod when we had him over for the podcast, and he just made he just made it seem like it was this drift wonderland like this it, like is. it was the mecca yep. of of drift and it embodied everything that drift was and he never wanted to leave. It's like this place if you're like a stunt motorcycle guy, and the whole town of Fort Worth is just like go do stunts on our highways. We don't care. Like, go have fun. Yeah. Like, be yourself. You want to go do stoppies down the access ramp? Go do that. Like, we don't care. Go do anything you want. That's how it is. It's amazing. It's amazing. They're With like, you're not wearing... in the city? No, but it's oh. the same concept. The facility oh. is so large, you literally couldn't walk it. Your legs would give out because of the hills and everything else. It's a circuit that has seven separate tracks at it. Wow. Um, the tracks are complex enough that if it's your first time there, you can spend a week there and you won't be able to master all the tracks because you just have so much to do. A lot to um, take in. So, like, I've Whoa. been going for years now, and I still haven't really progressed up to Higashi because my friends aren't driving on the tracks. I'm always on the same tracks that my friends are on. So, like, I stick to a bunch of the other tracks, and, like, we never even really have, like, advanced over to that one track yet because, you know, your friends aren't doing it, so you're not interested. But it's such a big facility. They have... A restaurant there that has amazing ramen and like barbecue and um, 
I don't know what else they have. I don't know. I've watched everybody. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I've watched a lot of the dudes. I've watched your videos from going over there. Fieldings, Taylor Ray's, Adam LZ's, and it, it really truly looks like they have the little bed and breakfast place you can. Yeah, it's like a stay, it's yeah. like a tiny town. With this it's really like a there. ski resort. <laughs> yeah, because it's built into a mountain and stuff. Like people ask me, they're like, "Oh, I'll just walk in." You're like, "You can try, but like your legs are gonna give out." I'm really active and like, woo, like I'll run around that place, and you're like, "I can't make it from one end to the other without tiring out." So would you say it's like a, you said ski resort. Is it like a drift resort? Yeah, it's exactly is it, is it what where, it is. Is it it's like a drift I mean, country club, bro? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like bring your set of tires, come play Ridge, nine holes. It's Breckenridge of drift. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. And what's even better than that awesome. is America has so much liability and everything, it makes drifting very expensive. So when I go to Texas Motor Speedway and I host an event, I have to have like three guys in a safety truck, two guys in an ambulance, you know, a guy at the gate making sure waivers are signed, a guy doing traffic, and then two security officers and a manager. Wow. So that obviously gets very expensive. Um, and to host a two-day event, that's as much as the track rental, basically. And it's way more expensive than you think. Um, I'm not going to tell you numbers, but, you know, it's very expensive. Whereas they don't have any of that stuff in Japan because they don't have liability laws the same way. So... There's no way for me to have a 10-day event at Texas Motor Speedway. But in Japan, because there's no track staff, there's no one checking to see if you're wearing a wristband. There's no one checking to see if you like did a waiver. There's no one checking to see if you have a helmet. There's no safety staff of any kind. They're like, you're on a racetrack. If you wreck, you know you should be careful. That's really dangerous. You know so what I mean? It sounds like their people just know how to carry sense. themselves yeah. over there is what it sounds like. Well, yeah, they just they don't have the same concept of liability we do. Like, say you're out on your own property and you're jumping a three-wheeler ATV. Like, you should know you're probably going to get hurt. That's really dumb, and someone should be paying attention and, like, call an ambulance if you get hurt. You know, you probably wouldn't do that without having some type of safety net there. And it's kind of like that when you do stupid stuff in Japan. They're like, yeah, this is really dangerous. You're probably going to hurt yourself. You should be careful. Do people ever get hurt out there? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, wild trip down the mountain. Yeah. In the back of an ambulance. Did you see me almost wreck my... Well, okay, I did wreck my car really fast and go into that dirt berm. No. Oh. I saw the one where Fielding put well, the skyline into a pretty hard Yeah, yeah It's just like that, that. Just imagine going in way harder even. You should look up pictures of Ebisu jump. Like, it is wild. Oh, is he going to look it up? Look up Ebisu jump. So we got... We got someone's looking it up. steak over here. You can do it on your own phone while we're, while we're doing this. Right. You can also look up jump drift. Yeah, look at that. They are like all four Sick, wheels off dude. the ground. Oh, yeah, that would get dangerous real quick. And these yeah. guys don't have cages. Um, so their oh, no. version of safety is very different than ours. Their cages are like super dinky, bolt-in, like exhaust pipe-looking cages. Um, oh, no. And like my car there doesn't have a cage, and I can jump my car four feet off the ground, and no one cares. That's not a good picture. No. Like There's some really good pictures. Uh -huh. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. That's, seems a little... That would get ugly quick. That's that's with a wall directly on your other side. Go back um, to your original search and look at the video that was the first thing. That's the Daigo Saito one. Just watch that. So this should be a red car if you're in the audience jumping over the jump. And it should be a super short video. 35 seconds, Digocyta Insane Jump Drift at Embisu. E yeah, E-I-S-U. This is terrible radio. You listeners are going to have to just take our word on this. Or get on your phone and check it out yourself. Yeah. All right, let's, let's keep going.
Oh, Evan's gonna turn his head. Oh, it's blocked. Okay, anyways, we should stop doing this. You close that window because you're distracting us. <laughs> Alright, so crazy insanity. So It's an amazing place, though. Um, I absolutely love it. It is my favorite track in the world. But my favorite track in the world is wherever all my friends are driving and have access to cars and we get to play. That's awesome. It's the environment that's around the track, I guess. It's not just the track. Now, you brought up um, the L word, liability. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. Uh, I was working the booth at round one, and the let's tent, not bring this up. The tent where you had the drivers meeting. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna keep it short. I'm gonna keep it short. No, I mean I don't want to talk about anything bad that happened at round no, one. No, no, there's nothing okay. wrong. That went, there was nothing bad. I was just say, wait, did we caught, do something at round one? It caught my attention. It caught my attention, and I found it was really interesting. Uh, right underneath the tent, the white tent at round one. Um, you had your driver's meeting mm-hmm. and the careless booth was just an earshot of that mm-hmm. and um, Lone Star Drift to me from what I see it's all fun and games everybody's like friends there's really no competition everybody's high-fiving hugging whatever they do but to hear you <laughs> kind of manage a driver's meeting was very interesting mm-hmm. as someone who did, didn't even drive it got my attention and to see that okay we're out here to have fun but like, listen up. Like, no fucking horseplay. Like, hear me the fuck out. Nobody's dying today. Nobody's this. Nobody's that. It, would you call that a successful event? Oh, they're all Nobody successful as long as no one gets hurt. Yeah. We really haven't had any injuries, but, like, say it round one. I don't really want to bring this up, but the problems typically are never on track. So our problems don't happen on track. What happened at round one, which was a problem, I'll bring this one up, we had some dude in the pits that hit a light post at like 50 miles an hour in an exo cage Miata thing and totaled it out and had his child in the car and he was drunk. Um, and we had to ban him from the facility and all of our events from life. Um, wow. And I don't know what to say about that other than it's incredibly hard to police the spectators who are the ones that don't understand their limits or how to drive or anything else. And it's incredibly easy to buy a stupid fast car nowadays and put stupid big tires on it. Like, you can go to the dealership right now and buy any number of cars that will murder the crap out of you. Um, a new Viper? A new Viper is ridiculous. A new Viper has as much power as, like, a Class B rally car from the 80s that everybody thinks is nuts. Um, I mean, like, you can get a supercharged Mustang or Hemi or whatever and change pulleys on it and headers and have like 800 horsepower you know like cars are nuts and people aren't really capable of handling those um they turn off traction control you've seen it in all the mustang videos online with them mowing down crowds and curbs and telephone poles and other cars in traffic like cars are just too aggressive now for most people um that's coming from someone that has a lot of really fast cars and loves driving fast cars, but realistically, like we're in a weird golden era of cars right now where they are completely ridiculous. Yeah. And they're only getting more so. If you've seen like videos of Tesla smoking like full drag Mustangs on the street with the thousand horsepower. I saw that today. Yeah. Ridiculous. They stripped out a Tesla, like two bare bones, just the battery, the the car battery underneath the hood, and Bare bones, no door panels, nothing. Two race seats, dude puts on a helmet, smokes, two, like, I don't want to say fully blown, but they are... They were fully blown. They were tubbed and had, like, 
huge slicks in the back that were like 14 inches wide or something. Okay, so like I will say nuts. fully blown. Yeah, they were. those cars were both over 1,000 horsepower. Stock engine, stock battery. The battery in the Tesla weighs 2,000 pounds. Stock motor, not engine. Mo- Motors yeah. and electric motors. Science Gas man. Science man. Dude, Engines. right? Right? I just need <laughs> hey, him to follow me. So every time I say something stupid, he just taps me. He's like, no, no, you sounded dumb back there. Hold on. I appreciate that. I appreciate the whole that. car, awesome. by the way, the whole bottom of it is the battery. That little battery that you saw in the front, that was yeah. just a little tiny battery. Yeah. yeah. The That's battery crazy. actually weighs like 2,000 pounds or something in those things. Yes. I was at a Tesla dealership the other day poking around, and in the menu, like the info menu... The biggest model for the, I forget what their SUV is called. Um, it's a type, I don't know, I'm not going to make bad radio. It was 6,900 pounds for a little S, like four-door SUV the size of, you know, a little X5. Wow. It That's a lot of heavy weight. At all. My S13 weighs like 2,300 pounds. My Mustang only weighs 3,500 pounds, and we laugh at that because it's crazy heavy. Thing weighs two entire V8 Mustangs. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's nuts. Yup. But that's the price you pay for science. I mean, just think about how ridiculous that could be, like, on I- like icy roads or wet roads. Like, is that fully sustainable? Like, like is that a... Yeah, it has traction you- control. But... The car can drive itself. They have autopilot. I don't know, man. Yeah, it'll be easier to drive than a normal car, probably. I'm kind of with you, because wow. I drove a, a newer SUV with the Adaptive Cruise, and I am with Losi. It, it runs, but I'm also with you. Just instinctively, I'm like, I don't know about that. Because you're driving an SUV at 70 miles an hour. Car gets in your lane. The, in your vehicle, auto-adjust that. My instinct's like, no, dude, I got to slam on that brake. No way in hell this SUV is about to stop. Absolutely. It just doesn't, in your mind, it just doesn't seem... Tesla steer for you and do everything. That's have you crazy. seen the BMWs where they have them drift themselves with no person in them? They go out and like wet down a track and everything, and they can actively like cars can already drive so much better than you can. I don't doubt. I don't it. care how good you are. A car already drives better, <laughs> unless like you're maybe Osbo. So like maybe then, so there's no, a theory that I don't want to believe it. Some of the best drift drivers are just like in their car chilling on Snapchat. <laughs> Other cars like drifting. They're Shit. not even in the car. Whoa. <laughs> like, I saw Vaughn Ginger eating a hot dog two seconds ago. That's a bullshit. It's a fucking hologram in yeah. the car. Dude, that's crazy. Fucking Metzger's yeah. just on Snapchat, driving his shit. He's got to figure it out. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the Formula D cars and stuff for more than a decade have had, like, hidden traction control and all kinds of stuff in the cars anyways to help them drive. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I've heard, and I don't know how recently or how accurate some of this is, I heard that some of the cars, when they win, they take possession of them and inspect them. After a win, or is that more like NASCAR? Nah, I don't think they do. That's in other forms of racing. Oh, okay. Formula D, like, they don't really care. Really? I guess the Hayes Water makes good views, right? It's not that. It's that the cars are pretty much unlimited in any ways, and there's nothing to check. Um, the only things they really limit are, like, you're not allowed to cut the firewall, maybe, unless you're a Scion, or you're not allowed to change suspension mounting points, and you're not allowed to run traction control or something like that. But traction control and certain things like that are far more complicated than that. You can adjust a car's ECU and gearing, not gearing, I'd say, but like technically kind of, not technically, but like um, effective gearing by changing the rev limiter and like boost and ignition maps and all kinds of stuff by GPS location on map, as well as like tire speed. 
because they can figure out how fast the tires are accelerating um, to see the traction the car is losing along with all kinds of sensors in the car. So even without conventional ABS rings, I'm probably talking over everyone's head, sorry. But um, you can effectively have traction control and like mess with cars drastically. And it's inside the rule book still because cars are so much more advanced for the most part than the rule book can even keep up with. Um, That's pretty crazy to think about. You'd think they would keep up with it more. I mean, like, we're kind of past that. There's not much you can check unless everyone's running some type of sealed ECU that's handed out to them or something like that, which they do in supercar series and all kinds of other stuff. But in drifting, like, look at everyone's cars. So, like, Chelsea one year ran it, and other people have. They run a wing, and the wing is mounted to the control arms of the car. So the more downforce the car, like, produces it tries to apply pressure to the suspension directly off the wing or something like that. Now, who knows if it actually works, but like you can do whatever the hell you want until someone deems it too big of a thing. Like Reese Millen ran horizontal, or I guess vertical wings instead of horizontal, um, so that on his Pontiac GTO, when the thing got to big angle, it had vertical wings that were made of plexiglass and see-through, so you couldn't really see them on the back of the car that were very large, so it increased the surface area of the side of the car like an air brake so when we went to big angle it stalled him out so he wouldn't spin because all the air would hit the car um, so like people do all kinds of crazy stuff and then when it gets too bad they'll rein it in but right now there's cars that could easily be like 2,000 horsepower if they wanted to be in Formula D or 1,500 maybe but they wouldn't be able to get two laps around the track because the tire wear would be so bad so they simply limit the series by saying you can only go two laps per set of tires um, and you can't go any less and your car has to you know like survive kind of thing and those things self-regulate everything and then they can use, physically use see what, what you moved use what you got yeah but otherwise you can swap engines you can literally do anything you want you could go out with 4,000 horsepower if you wanted but it wouldn't help it's <laughs> kind of over the top isn't it <laughs> the tires just wouldn't live yeah um, I don't know if they've outlawed electric drivetrains. I think they have, but like someone could go technically make an electric car and probably just demolish everyone because everything would be in software at that point and you wouldn't, like, the car could literally drive itself and the driver would just be in there steering. I've got a question for you that branches off of that. Uh -huh. How long till we see a Tesla drift car? Um, I don't know. Elon Musk is a pretty cool dude, but I don't think there's <laughs> any point... And Tesla putting any type of real motorsports effort anywhere because their main focus is being a green company and looking like they're a green company. So like they're a luxury green company. And as long as they can keep stock investors and governments and everybody into that, that's a billion dollar thing to keep tax credits and everything else rolling. If you look like you're drifting, it's visually a very destructive environmentally damaging thing regardless of what you know like lithium mining or something else is to the environment or the long-term effect of like electric vehicles and everything everything else um, but visually they don't want to screw up their tax credits and they don't want to screw up their message of green cars saving the planet even if the dude wants to blast a thousand rockets into space to colonize Mars which could be the worst thing on earth potentially for a, removing matter from Earth, like, you know, I forget what kind of rockets he wants to build. 
to power them. But, you know, like, it would obviously be a big pollutant and then also removing effective, like, useful energy from Earth to go to Mars. Um, so, like, something like that could be far worse than dealing with drifting. But they won't want to see themselves as a pollution-producing company on purpose doing something wasteful. So you could see individuals drifting Teslas, but not the company you know, like Tesla supporting it. Yeah. And I think we're going to go that way with a lot of large manufacturers. Like Ford doesn't give a crap. Ford's just a good old Duke boys company, like arm out the window, um, jump in a Mustang, trying to sell Mustangs to the public. But BMW won't want to be a part of drifting. Mercedes won't. Um, I mean, that's obvious. But you'll see a lot of other companies that won't really want to be a part of it because a lot of companies, like even Toyota, don't really market and sell sports cars or enthusiast cars anymore. They might sell it a little bit, but there's such small production runs, it only confuses the message of like selling Camrys now. So Toyota and all the like Japanese companies used to be like enthusiast car brands that built awesome stuff like Celicas and Mark IV Supras and 300 ZXs that were twin turbo and super expensive and Nissan GTRs and everything else, but like I don't even think Nissan cares about Nissan GTRs anymore. Like they were just kind of rolling through the company for the past 20 years and they keep building them, but I don't even think they market them or do anything with them. Like the company's not interested in building them. Do you think that's something more wow. recently that's happened or is that just been like a it's a cause and effect that's been happening? Um the only car buyers I think that you need to advertise and market to that are like acceptive of marketing are children and young people under like say 25. So you're not going to market to someone that's 45 to buy a car, A, because they're only going to buy two more cars in their life and all of these other reasons. But thinking that way, you're only going to be marketing to young people. And young people are more concerned with like not having a race car and maybe paying off horrible millennial student loans or whatever. They don't, they're not going to have like the expendable money necessarily to sustain large car companies. They're going to be looking at ride sharing. They're going to be looking at electric cars. They're going to be looking at inexpensive like whatever cars, um, I don't think racing is going to sell cars to young people, and I think young people don't care about race cars. Any young person that cares about race cars nowadays can basically play video games and get it out of their system that way. The only people that really do it are super hardcore enthusiasts. Um, it's no longer a rite of passage for a young 16-year-old man to get a car and like cruise around on Friday and Saturday nights with his buddies in the car for no other reason than driving around and like being free like American Graffiti. Probably none of y'all have seen that movie. I've seen it. Okay, you know what I'm talking about then. Boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, that's what people used to do and it's no longer a thing. It's too expensive. There's no reason because of social media kids can hang out with their friends on Call of Duty or online on Xbox. Right. Um, there's no longer any reason to go meet up with them in person because A, it's too expensive. B, it takes too much time. Um everything's now 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 yeah so i don't think that cars are the same thing they're going to be like or they have been and the marketing won't be the same thing like cars are no longer freedom cars are no longer all of those things to young people like a rite of passage um and because you're losing that spirit in the young man um and he's a much more effeminate person uh a race car does not appeal to him in the same way because it only is detrimental to his life and expensive whereas i'm someone where like uh, I don't care about working hard. I don't care about doing all that stuff to like do my fun stuff. I love it. And cars are like a completely different experience to me, but it's because I grew up differently. 
Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Devin. No, I was just saying, in, in regards to marketing, I feel like there's been a rise in drifting and common marketing campaigns, like maybe even Gillette, Air Force. Do you feel like any of that would have any... So drifting, absolutely, in certain terms, such as BMW and everyone else, drifting works really well on TV for marketing, but they're not marketing drifting at all. So it's like get your attention, not necessarily yeah. the sport. They're using drifting to market themselves and have an eye-catching commercial. At no point are they trying to say their cars drift, because they're drifting around front-wheel drive Toyota, I don't know, Camrys in those commercials. Like, they're jumping on top of trains and some of those things in the cartoon fashion. Um, the cars are doing all kinds of ridiculous things that no one is ever going to do with them, and they are not at any point saying, you are going to buy a drift car from us, and you are going to take it out, and you are going to drift it. No one does that. The cars are not capable of that in stock form most of the time. Like, say the FRS, it just doesn't have enough power. Um, they are simply, I mean, like it kind of does and everything else, but it doesn't have enough steering angle. You have to modify the car significantly get to, to get it to do that. And a lot of the cars in these commercials are either CG, obviously, or they are highly modified, such as that Pennzoil commercial with the Viper drifting in it. I think it was Reese Millen drifting in that commercial, and they had cut knuckles and all kinds of stuff like a handbrake in it, you know, a hydro e-brake and everything to get that car to drift. Um, like, it's just a stunt they're doing on TV, like when they take pickup trucks and jump them and everything else they're not telling you to go do that with your pickup truck i guess in my mind i thought it was me professional driver on a closed course yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know like they're not really promising the oh yeah you're gonna have the exact same outcome if you buy our trucks they're like no look at how cool it looks you want this buy this (laughs) this is what you want out of a truck i give the worst drawn out answers i'm sorry no, you're great, great, man. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, people yeah, on podcasts, they want knowledge, man. Word. Normally, it's just us talking about, like, tacos and new t-shirt products. Yeah. So. Yeah. By the way, I mean, what do you think about our tacos great. at the events, man? We need They're some, good. We need some feedback. We need to make them better. No, tacos are great. Boom. Boom. I'm, I'm, I'm usually the, the chef, the, the guy yeah. on the grill. The you guy cook well. So, appreciate it. I eat a lot of tacos, so. I'm glad We're Texan. Works. We all eat a lot of tacos. Straight tacos, oh, yeah. you can't go wrong. Yeah. But yeah, with with tacos, it's really hard to fuck up. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah, hard to fuck up. Unless tacos. you get raw chicken or something. <laughs> Definitely, is absolutely not, up, man. Hundred percent. No, I was just control. saying that's like how you mess them up. Otherwise, I don't know. Quality control, man. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing but the best. I'm not gonna lie. At TMS good. one time, we bought a bunch of tortillas and I put them in the cooler, and it got like the ice thawed out so more than expected. And yes. they got wet. Oh, dude, disgusting. <laughs> oh, it was like little patties. Of, yeah, it was, you yeah. probably could have got flour out of it. It, went flour to patties, it, it cost $2 to fix that. <laughs> it's yeah. not a big deal. You well, it was timing because yeah. the person in charge, Mr. Losty, was like, where's lunch? So luckily, the concession stands had tortillas. You're like, you guys get burrito bowls today. <laughs> We're being <laughs> like, you, ever, yeah, you ever been to Chipotle? You know when you go to the front, they ask you, yeah. We're not going to flip out. We're not going to flip out. Like low C tortilla bowls. Low C tortilla. We're going a little carbless we today. We can market that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put some more garnish on the top and a spork. You'd think it was meant to be. You'd think it was Taco Bell. I'm not even going to be worried next time I soggy <laughs> out the tortillas. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, all this talk about cars. What's your dream drift car? If you, oh, if you, you guys are one. not ready for this. I'm What's ready. Uh, My dream I wrote drift it down. car I'm ready. is something that doesn't break. That's literally my Mustang. My dream car is a car that probably weighs 2,300 pounds, 
doesn't require me to touch the engine whatsoever to work on it in between events. Like in a whole season, I don't have to fuck with it. The bodywork doesn't fall off. That means no, sorry, excuse me, no fiberglass body kits that fall off. Um, stock impact beams, so there's no fancy fabrication on it. I'm describing basically a unicorn Mustang because unicorns weigh like 3,600 pounds. Um, and normal power steering with like 60 degrees of angle. So basically I want a car that I just don't have to work on. I can go drive a ton and then is lighter than the one I have. So I've probably had about 60 drift cars. Um, wow. Yeah, I probably have at least, okay, the number might be higher than that. Right now I have a Nismo 370Z, a 2011 like V8 Mustang, a Sylvia in Japan, a JZX100 in Japan, like five, 240SXs, one's right-hand drive, the others are left-hand drive for the rest, and a few other cars. And um, I have, like, rock crawler off-road stuff, too. Um, but most of the older cars that have, like, turbo four-cylinders are really unreliable. Um, my inline-six, like, iron-block Toyota stuff is really reliable, but it's really heavy. Um, I don't know. I just don't want to work on the cars, and I want to drive. Driving is all about fun for me and not about working on the car, because I'm not a good mechanic, and I don't want to work on the car. To be a mechanic, you just gotta have patience, man. I'm trying to go out there and drive. I'm not trying to work on things. You also need indoor air conditioning. <laughs> that is important. So, would you say that the obviously the Mustang is more reliable than the 350Z? No, actually, 350Zs are dead reliable. Mustangs okay. are as well, just because they're kind of like built as new cars. Anything after like maybe 2003 or so that's a rear-wheel drive like Nissan or Mustang or whatever, they have really reliable engines. The engines don't just randomly blow up like the older stuff. And reasonably, like, the older stuff was really reliable as well, but S13s, which are like little Nissan 240SX rear-wheel drive cars, they have turbo four-cylinders, and we had to get those turbo four-cylinders out of a car in Japan, import him here, there, or here, install them, and then we most of the time put a bunch of like work into them and aftermarket ECU of bigger turbo injectors. And every time you modify a car, you introduce a really big failure point. Because say Ford has a million research hours making that V8 work in that you know chassis mm -hmm. from vibrations to, I mean like obviously all the normal engineering work, but like after they engineer it and put it in, they make sure nothing vibrates, they make sure nothing interferes with something else, they make sure no wire chafes through, they make sure no hose chafes through. Um, like my Mustang is literally stock airboxes, stock drivetrain, stock clutch, stock transmission, stock diff, um, stock all that stuff. It just has aftermarket control arms and suspension and modified knuckles and racing seats. The hydro, um, yeah. Yeah. So all that stuff is so reliable. And like each time I add something, like all that suspension stuff, it now loosens up and we have to tighten it constantly. So it starts falling apart on track sometimes we have to tighten it. Um, I installed a hydraulic e-brake, which helps me use the handbrake differently than the stock one for various reasons. And um, that thing interferes with the normal hydraulics in the car where I pull it up and if I press the foot brake at the same time, it can pinch the system and like lock it closed so the rear wheels stay locked even after I undo all the brakes, you know, my foot comes off and the hand comes down. So I have to like re-tap the foot brake again to get everything to release. So like you'll have all these weird things from like issues that I created in the car by installing aftermarket parts. Um, whereas it's like building a Windows PC yourself. You can build a Windows PC yourself out of parts that you get off the shelf and you're like, I saved money. 
I I put together this amazing combo and it's so fast and then you're like but also none of the drivers work the thing breaks every five minutes my aftermarket like crappy fan broke and overheated everything and the stupid CPU melted and my video card drivers are actually slower than the like stock stupid video card on the like Intel CPU for the Iris graphics because like the stupid drivers never work properly in the stupid program. I'm making That's an analogy for computer that was a nerds. Very specific. And, uh, I saw Mike started yeah. laughing. Our computer like, yeah. guy is looking at us. Whereas like a Macintosh, which is slower technically and more expensive and everything, is way faster because it doesn't have drivers that go wrong. And all the software is specifically written for that exact thing, and nothing breaks. So like when we build drift cars for ourselves, we build them, and they have tons of faults in them. And you learn to drive around them, or you try and modify the faults. But like, we have a buddy, the guy with a V eight three fifty Z, at round four or three. If you watch my YouTube video, fantastic car, runs all the time. An injector pops out. A little tiny injector pops out. That's one little tiny fuel injector that puts fuel in the engine. Just like backs out slightly because it pops out of the O ring, catches the entire fucking thing on fire. You know what I mean? Yeah, was that the red one? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, little tiny stupid things, like one little tiny, like, O-ring not holding everything together and the thing popping out for whatever reason because the cap wasn't holding it on um, can cause the thing to burn down to the ground. Uh, And that's really difficult to engineer every single piece of the car, you know, over again when you're doing things in an aftermarket fashion, especially when we're super price conference or conscious and buy everything on eBay. That's crazy. Yeah, that is yeah. like such a small thing to cause such a huge. It's nuts. Forget about it. Bring your fire extinguisher. Yeah, sometimes it's not the giant, man. Yeah. Sometimes it's something really small. <laughs> Just flips you on your freaking lid. So, what's on the books for next round? Mineral Wells, we got it coming up in August. Ooh, August 5th and 6th, Mineral Wells. That is my. I had the most fun at that event. It's called Pinball Drift because. If you know what drifting is, we normally have a track and we have all this stuff laid out and like very specific rules and everything else. This is like a pinball thing where there is no track layout. You just have to follow follow the leader through a big series of barriers laid out like a pinball machine. And it is really freaking fun. It takes the cars down to like three miles an hour in sections. It does really wacky stuff that drift cars typically don't do. Um which requires a very different type of drift car to win sometimes. So like say David Mesker that's kind of sweeping the series this year, his car might not necessarily do well on a track that goes anywhere from 60 to two miles an hour. Like, you know, maybe his car functions really well on a big track when it has excellent airflow over it and it doesn't overheat and all of these other things, but he has a super modified super motor in it, which is a 3.4 liter JZ with a dog box transmission and the radiator is behind him. So like everything's been moved and like the car is basically just super modified and creates a ton of heat. Like, you know, maybe that thing won't even function on a small track. Um, so he's actually, cause he's rich bringing a second car. Um, yeah. He's bringing down his turbo BMW. Um, so Much to the ribs. <laughs> yep. um, but the point is, is like, it's a super different thing. And I try and always, like, people don't understand Lone Star Drift sometimes, and I'm like, instead of thinking of it as a fancy, like, country club of race car people, which most race car stuff is, think of it as, like, a skate park full of kids having fun in, like, a counterculture um, activity. We don't need to be fancy and have the biggest, fanciest racetrack with the best pavilion and the fanciest cars and everything. Like, 
that's not what's fun. Like, if you went skateboarding and none of your friends were there, or it was just, like, big corporations, like, trying to sell you shirts. Oh, wait, that's a bad analogy. <laughs> selling you, um, selling you, like... Shitty-ass <laughs> merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bunch of companies, like, trying to advertise to you. That kind of sucks. Like, you want to be at a place where you're comfortable with your friends and having fun, and, like, you don't want to camp with a bunch of companies or something like that, or you don't want to yeah. camp with, like, fancy rich people that are just there to, like... I don't your email to, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean to pick on rich people. I mean, like, corporations or, like, you know, yeah. rich things looking for money. Like, that's not what Lone Star Drift is. We're just, like, looking to have a good time and have... I love this. Like, I'm not going to get rich off this. I was in real estate and gave up a life where I made good money so I could do something I love. Um, and it's very different because I don't see people as, like, customers or anything else. I understand there's an ebb and flow of, like, the people that come through my events and... Um, the types of cars and like the types of spectators and everything else and I just try and create a really unique and fun atmosphere and just like the events are what they are they are like a reflection of what I want drifting to be in our region instead of um, a bunch of fancy people in the fanciest get ups and racing suits and race cars with their race car trailers and sponsor decals and like all that kind of stuff I don't know what the question was. That humble environment. No, it's just kind of like the Lone Star vibes. Yeah. Oh, and also what we have coming up. It's like tacos. I'd rather eat tacos than go to Ruth's Chris and have a steak. Like I'm not that. No, I mean honestly, I would rather sit down and eat tacos. It's like a no nonsense meal. I don't have to have some stupid waiter that's trying to make money off of me. I mean, like not that waiters. Yeah, like I don't need a bottle of wine. I don't need anything. Like give me iced tea. Give me tacos and leave me alone. Yeah, or Topo Chico. Um, I'm easygoing, and I don't need all that extra fluff. Now I'm with you, too. Like, in that environment, then you're kind of, like, guilted into dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and just acting kind of uptight. And Like, I remember one of the more powerful conversations we had in the beginning is you were talking about, like, supercars, and you remember when you were in real estate, people would go, you know, try and buy Ferraris or Lambos and stuff like that because they just want to be seen in it. Oh, yeah. I don't even like nice cars. I remember when I was in Vegas. I don't remember what month it was, but it was freezing cold. And you could tell everyone that was in a rented car because they had the top down with the windows down. Because they paid to be seen in it. They're driving up and down the strip to be seen. And it's just like, dude, you are putting yourself to so much discomfort just because you want to be seen by all these people who have no idea who they are. You're never going to see any of them again. But you just want that feeling to roll by and hit that stoplight and be the one bumping music. That's yeah. And then you see the rented tag plates and it's just I'm right there with you, dude. I'd rather be rolling out in like some dirty vans and jump in my loud drift car with no windows and freaking manji my way out of a true lux parking lot rather than the guy that valets his Ferrari. <laughs> I drive a nineteen ninety four Land Cruiser. <laughs> really? So you're gonna think he like clean the tables. Outside. He's like, nah dude, I own this. I do clean up after the events. I'm the janitor. People ask me what I do for a living, and I tell them I'm a janitor. All right. I clean vinyl off to the floor, off, off the floor in there when everyone leaves. So I'm the janitor. Yeah. What'd you drive here today? My Land Cruiser. What's up with the 370, man? Are you gonna hold on to that, or is that just a turn? I'm gonna turn it into a drift car. Really? Um, there's a slight holdup on that, which is I need to get the E series flashed, and also it's a billion degrees in the shop right now, yeah. so I've been avoiding that. Um, <laughs> But I did just get, everything is basically back together in the car. We pulled it out. We put a radiator in it. I'm supposed to do a YouTube video on this, and I haven't, people keep asking me about it. Um, I have everything, like, basically put together on the car. It looks fine. It just doesn't have a hood or a bumper on it right now. 
Um, we literally have like two hours of working on this thing to like fix the thing. Um, I just awesome. pulled it out with my pickup truck. I can show you videos later on my phone. And um, I also have a 335i BMW that I picked up. So I pick up cars really cheap, just like my Mustang, this 335i, this Nismo Z. Um, I want drifting to be, you ask me about the perfect drift car. I want cars that are reliable and neat and fun and I can beat on and don't break. And there's a lot of modern cars through depreciation and stuff that meet that goal, especially when like you're good at finding them because you are in the right place at the right time with cash. Um, when people just want to get rid of stuff, they don't want to like act like actively market and sell and get their money out of it. Like, man, I just want this gone today. Give me cash. You can get really good deals. And I like to drive that stuff more than old beat up rice rockets because it's interesting and they don't break and they're more modern. Um, I do love my S13s and 14s a lot, but oh my God, they require sometimes 20 hours of work per event to keep running. Whereas like my Mustang, we've done a couple hours of maintenance and I change oil once a season and don't do anything. Wow. So then the maintenance includes uh, adding zip ties and... (laughs) I like the, the use of the word rice rockets. That, yeah. that really kind of puts it into perspective. But there's really some, some cool cars that maybe just take a little bit more work. But, I mean... Like a million hours more work. It seems like you're efficient with with cars and... I'm not efficient with cars. Oh, well. If I give that illusion, <laughs> I'm sorry. I do not. Yeah. Well, I feel like you've maintained driving the Mustang for a lot of rounds. I'd say that's efficient. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, haven't, you haven't put it in to a fence you haven't let it eat any crowds mm-hmm. uh, you're pretty efficient with the mustang mustangs are you know they'll, they'll break loose from you, you. yeah youtube will curves. show otherwise yeah. last season we blew five motors in my s13 that's crazy yeah i don't want to talk about that <sighs> next up <laughs> every time we next? thought we'd solve the issue and we move past it and like somebody promised me we were confidently past that and they knew exactly what was going on and guaranteed the results and then it just immediately blew back up like three seconds later and this is like from reputable people that have been doing it for a long time and it's not just like guessing like ugh, it's tough you look like you look like such a sad owner right now you just look down into the left you're like sorry i brought it up you don't know what it's like paying for that i saw the jordan meme in your eyes the jordan (laughs) crying meme yeah it makes me want to quit when that happens and that's why i always tell drivers to like go get a 350z or something because it's too hard when you first get into drifting to um go through the hassle of learning all of the mistakes that we all have like building old cars because like you can't just go buy an old like sr24 cylinder anymore turbo motor and it not be complete garbage and not need new rings in it and pistons and bearings and stuff like they're all just ragged out they come out of cars that have already done 20 hard years in japan been totaled out go through an importer get it exported show up here and then you have to install it in a car and hopefully not get you know something backwards or something that blows it up yeah, it seems like a lot of back and forth, a lot of people that have short investment in it. That's nice. Whereas for the same price as just that motor, you can go buy an entire 350Z, which is literally 20 years newer, you know, built with more technology and everything. Freaking S13s were literally built before modern computers were around. That's Like crazy. when they were designing those things in the 70s or, you know, mid 80s, because design processes were pretty long back then, they were literally using punch card computers. Think about wow. that. Yeah. That's not something you want to be a part of. <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. Because 
an SR20, I would imagine if the first ones were somewhere right around 1989, that means they had to be designed in the 70s, which is amazing they have like ECUs at all in them. Um, and, you know, as opposed to like carburetors and everything. But it just shows you how old some of that stuff is. It's really old. And I love those motors. They're fantastic motors. But, oh my God, they're so old. Yeah, I guess I, like you, you don't even think it's that old, but you start doing the math, you're like, wow, that's it's actually got some uh, miles put on it. Yeah. yeah. Modern cars have about a five-year lead from the time everything's done to like the amount of testing they need to go in and everything else. So most probably cars nowadays are designed five to ten years out, um, and then it takes that much time to like finish testing them, get all the tooling made in the factories, and get them like printed out, kind of thing. Crazy to think about, man. And that's pretty fast nowadays because, of course, they have computer modeling and they don't have to do everything in the real world. Probably the fastest a car company could get something out is like four to three years, and that would be fast and probably have a lot of mistakes in it. That's nuts. That's so nuts. I can't even think of like what all it takes to like get that factory up and rolling. It took me that long to get YouTube channel going. That's still <laughs> I'd rather take down. a swing at the YouTube <laughs> thing. Yeah, screw engines. I'll yeah, leave no, that right. to some some big wig. Yeah. But honestly, I don't know if I said it earlier, dude. Props on your YouTube channel because your content is five star, and I don't think people take into account all the detail. Like, I mean, because I remember we were talking about doing like uh, live uh, Facebook live at the events, and even you were saying like your cropping and the framing, everything is taken into account to cut out dead space and really maximize full attention of the video. And that stuff, even as a content creator, I wasn't f fully taken into account. So props on that. Thanks. Um, it is a lot of effort to create something that is in the image you want to make things look a certain way. Because obviously I try and make the events look better and more exciting than they are. If you're a random person that comes out and doesn't bring a helmet and doesn't ride along in the cars and just sits in the crowd and is shy, it's a very different experience. Like you've been inside cars, you've done all that stuff. Like there's different levels of exciting. So like if you're just a person that sits at one vantage point in the crowd and never does anything, you know, like it might not be as exciting as if you know all your friends, you're drinking, you're having fun, you're getting in cars, you're riding along, you have amazing tacos, like, you know, you get to do all the cool stuff. I try and show all of that in the videos. And if you were live streaming, you'd have the, pers like, you know, from your perspective out in the crowd, from one focal length, which is your phone, you'd have a very, like, one perspective view of the event, and it would not be nearly as exciting because you wouldn't really see any fun part of the event. There would just be every, you know, however many seconds a car would kind of get close and be like, and then it'd be 58 seconds of dead time and then, yeah. That's why nobody watches road racing and stuff on TV for the most part, except maybe F1. That's so boring. My grandpa. Yeah. People just watch NASCAR for the wrecks. They don't watch it for the race. I'm with you if I watch NASCAR, it's the last five laps. That's when it heats up. <laughs> yeah. The last five oh, laps? Oh, shit. Top ten. Who's going to win it? Yeah, right. I who's going to crap that. their pants? Who's going to come through? Like, I don't even know these guys. Woo! Yeah. America! <laughs> Budweiser. I don't ever watch anything on TV like that. I watch Game of Thrones and Rick and Morty. <laughs> really? You trying? watch Rick and Morty? Everybody That's, watches Rick and Morty. I don't. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I just know about it. That's... I, I you gotta go watch Rick and Morty. I couldn't call that. Aaron Lucy watches Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty is the most. A new season, I, I don't even watch Game of Thrones. It's out in a couple days. 
Game of Thrones has more rape than any show except Westworld, and Rick and Morty has more existentialism and thought-provoking narratives than any other show on TV. Two interesting ways. I mean, I've delved in both of them. I just don't watch them. Yeah. Fuck society. <laughs> both of them we were just Netflix, talking about Westworld had to one-up the raping and incest in Game of Thrones, and the only way they could do that is to replay the same timeline every day to... Have any of y'all watched Westworld? No. Oh, God. Not at all. Okay, then the joke is lost. <laughs> they have the same characters in that show get raped and stabbed every single day of their lives. Really? For like 20 years. <laughs> so terrible. <laughs> wow. What has this world gone to on television viewing? Uh, you need to go watch. Westworld's a pretty good show, but it's like, oh, God. Like, what are they going to make next? Yeah. How do they make? How do they push the envelope a little bit further after this? I don't know, Westworld's actually like a 30-year-old movie that they just picked up and redid. <laughs> and like Game of Thrones is like a 25-year-old book that I read a decade ago. Wow. See, I'd rather read the book than watch the show. I'm You're a, not I'm down for the book. Guy. I'm more of a book guy. The books are really long, and there's you haven't watched Game of Thrones, have you? There's more than 100 main characters. Awesome. Okay. I like books. I like yeah. to read. I was going to say I love books too, but I was going to say that's a tough book for most people to get into. It's brutal. Just because of so many people's point of view, obviously? You get to like book four. Did uh, you read it, by the way? Uh, I oh. had them, and I read... Oh. I couldn't. I couldn't. You can't even keep up with the characters until you watch the TV show because you can like Visually see them and the, yeah, visualize them. And then there's probably the book has like 60% more characters. And then... You get to, like, book four, and they're just like, oh, guess what? We're in Dorne. We have an entire new series, like, cast. We're not even doing that other set. You're just like, what? You're like, what happened to everybody else? You're like, yeah, we're not going back to that for a while. Good to know. Yeah, like, the books are complex, and, like, they go back in time a thousand years, and, like, you literally, like, they need, a th- like, a thesaurus to keep up with. They're, like, they're brutal. I'm, I'm at the show. Forget that. And everybody has, like, the same name through generations. Like, all the Targaryens and stuff. And you're just sitting there, you're like, I don't know what they're talking about. And, like, I, I watched the show and read the books, and you're still just like, I don't remember. <laughs> I, you got, yeah, you got me lost. I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> yeah. You should. It's good. Yeah. The books are really good. I, I listen to audiobooks, and each one, I think they're at six now. Each one is forty something hours or fifty hours. Goodness. So like, you're you're talking four hundred hours of audiobooks literally. Awesome. It's <laughs> nuts, man. All right. And props to you trying to take that. Ahead of the books now. Yeah, the show is ahead of the books, and they've cut a lot of the book characters out. Like, spoiler, everybody turn off this podcast. Like Lady <laughs> Lady Catelyn comes back. This is already out. She oh, came okay. back in the book as Lady Stoneheart. So, like, you have entire characters that were resurrected and back in the book that they don't have in the show. And that's not really a spoiler at this point, since the show doesn't have that. Gotcha. But there's right, lots right. of stuff like that. You're just like, what? You're like, entire storylines are gone. <laughs> like, probably important storylines. <laughs> I'm missing so much. Now I'm getting death threats. <laughs> not on this channel. We got just, good followers. It's not live. Yeah. No, I Give some time to get away. <laughs> Which is a ticket to Mexico? Your Land Cruiser would make it. I drive my Land Cruiser back and forth to Colorado multiple times a year. That's awesome. The only problem is, is it has 
bad gas mileage, but it has like 360,000 miles on it. What year model is it? 1994. Yes, sir. They don't give up. No, sir. Has lockers front and rear, has 529 gears, has 35-inch tires. Yeah, I need to go awesome. outside and check this out. Fuck them up, Lucy. Yeah. Well, it has Fuck no real paint up. on it. The paint's falling off. I'm not worried about the paint. It's about to be nighttime. I anyways. sleep out of it all the time. Really? Word. Camp out of it. Where do you... Do you go to a campsite or do you just go anywhere? I go to Colorado. Oh, wow. Colorado's very different. They have a lot of state-owned like land. Mm-hmm. Texas is all private land. So, like, in Texas, if you're not inside your house... Or, like, on a sidewalk, you're trespassing, basically. So, like, if you're not buying something from a store or, like, driving actively somewhere, you're basically trespassing anywhere you are. Like, in Texas, you have no personal space that you can just, like... If you're a bum and you don't own a house, like, you don't even have anywhere to stand, really. Um, Whereas in Colorado and a lot of other states, you have lots of public land so you can go lie down and, like, you're not trespassing. You'll notice this now that I said it. Everything is fenced off. There's barbed wire everywhere. Large mammals cannot access Texas. We have no indigenous large mammals larger than a deer. I noticed, I watched a very random but interesting video. It was uh, all the things that like downtown cities do to deter homeless people. Like the spikes they put on ledges. or Those the, are pigeons. Well, also the... Be- <laughs> like, uh, no... Wow, it makes me look bad. Okay, even the benches they put armrests. Yeah, right in the ribs. Yeah. They it's, put the armrests in the center so people can't lay down, yeah. or they like break things to make it look like a modern seat, but it's to take away from the bench. But the pigeon thing too. Dude, you fucking right on yeah. the edge of your chin. You couldn't like, see that. Bow! I'm behind the mics, but I'm crying. It's right. called Evan, uncomfortable design, by the way. Yeah, that's absolutely a thing. They design that stuff all the time, and it's kind of crazy. It's crazy because in your mind, it's like, oh, it looks aesthetically pleasing. But then they're like, no, that's to keep the homeless people moving. Yep. <laughs> um, they, it's crazy. They build stuff that way so that you don't stay long. When I lived in Manhattan, you had to buy a combo meal at McDonald's to even be able to sit down for more than 15 minutes. Well, exactly 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, if you didn't buy another combo meal, you got kicked out. Um, so so like, hungry if you're trying to chill for a half hour. Yeah. So when like you live in like New York and stuff, you're very aware that there's nowhere for an individual to go that doesn't have their own apartment or home or something or job. Um, like there's nowhere to go unless you're a consumer. So we're very like consumer oriented. I'm that's getting existential thing. here. I know it's crazy. Thing. But like if you're in Alaska, you could just go like hang out on a mountain somewhere. Like you can just go do whatever you want. You can go lay down next to a river for a month. You can just camp. Can't do that in Texas. Fuck you, buy something. <laughs> that is beyond our flag. Fuck you, buy something. Right under don't tread on me. Come Damn. and take it. Fuck you, buy something. <laughs> yup. Fuck y'all, buy something. Right. So anything big coming up for Lone Star before we wrap this bad boy up? Um, not really. Um, keep killing it? No, Lone Star Drift, I've been trying to do some things like for the past couple years, I've been trying to find a small, like, defunct city that will allow me to host a street drifting event in it. I think that would be really fun. Um, we started hosting events at a police academy. Uh, track is very small and technical. It doesn't really, like, it's not conducive to a bigger comp. Um, I like having my big prizes, but I think coming up, because the prizes are so crazy expensive, like, they're really expensive. Um might start putting that money into something different because like I used to bring out Yokoi and Tsuka like world class Japanese drivers Mm -hmm. and we brought out like 
Tony Angelo, Ryan Hampton, Chelsea, JR, um, all kinds of pro guys. Um, I keep changing what I do with the fun money for the series. Like, I don't know what it will be in the future. Maybe some more road course stuff, but we've been doing a lot of road course stuff in the background. I don't think a lot of our drivers, like we need a critical mass of drivers that are capable of driving at some really fast road courses. Um, but like we tested Eagles Canyon, Motorsport Ranch, Harris Hill, and a bunch of other tracks recently in Texas. And they are like 150 mile an hour entries in some places and stuff. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I was drifting in fifth gear in my little SR car at Motorsport Ranch Houston, which is like 170 miles an hour wheel speed. I don't know. It's really fast. Um, the car's obviously not going that fast. You need like a slip differential between the uh, tires and the ground speed of at least, you know, 10% or something to be able to drift. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's 140. I don't know. But I was going pretty fast. Um we need the critical mass of our drivers to be able to do some of those things for various reasons. A, so that we can afford to rent the tracks and not go broke. Um, and B, because we don't want everybody to look like idiots and break all their cars and die. Because if you go off track at 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour, it's not a big deal. You just kind of slide around, maybe bend a control arm. But if you go off at 100 miles an hour, 120, you can get seriously hurt, especially if you hit something. Um, I don't know if you were in the car at Texas Motor Speedway for any runs, were you? Mm, not this last of that, uh, unfortunately. Uh, if you're in the car with some of us that are drifting the full track and you get towards the back section, if we hit one of those fire hydrants or something, you know, booking it at fourth gear, you know, we could do some damage as opposed to the beginning of the track where at max maybe about 95 miles an hour um, and then we decelerate down to a certain amount. But that whole zone is pretty safe once you get to the back section of the track. We don't really allow any of us to drift it much, just a couple of us who really know what they're doing. Like, you could hit something if you go off at a really substantial speed, which will really deform the car, which is really bad. Um, and those are all calculated risks and stuff that you have to make as an event organizer, as a driver, everything else. So basically, long story short, what do I want to do in the future? I want to do better media, better YouTube stuff. Um, just continue doing everything better without burning myself out. I'm on a constant burnout path because I'm the only person that works full time within Lone Star Drift. Everybody else is like a volunteer pickup person that does a single, like, I don't say volunteer because they do get paid, but they don't get paid enough for them to not really just be volunteers doing it for the love of it, if you know what I mean. Um, I would like to continue doing all of the cool stuff I do. Like in the past 24 months, I spent a couple weeks in Australia, went down there and drifted a JZX100. I spent about five weeks in Japan drifting, creating content for YouTube and doing everything else for our retardedly long seven hour documentaries and stuff ridiculously long um i've was in dubai and like got to hang out with princes and stuff if you saw that did you see that i did yeah yeah like i was within someone's 250 million dollar dollar car collection driving their you know race carts around. oh it looks like a museum it looked like a whole private facility that was a personal property yeah, yeah they have like a hundred servants on their own personal property and that's not where they live it's just their fun garage which is like 30 square miles or something it looked like, like i remember when the dealership i think had the glass doors it looked like a, a part out of grand theft auto where you like go in the mansion and pick out a car it just doesn't even look real <laughs> that's seriously what it reminded me of. it was like five ferraris you've never seen exact same color back to back like i don't who does that? Dubai's yeah. on some other shit, man. No, dude, that's unreal. Yeah. yeah. And it just doesn't princes. make sense. Yeah. Well, the, this was Abu Dhabi, the sister emirate to them. So there's 
Emirate. Anyways, I don't have to explain all that. It takes too long. So too much but yeah, money. it was crazy to be like a part of the, not a part, but like go see the royalty there. Um, they were so nice and so friendly because we all had the same passion, which was drift cars. Um, that was really cool to be invited into that environment. And the only real reason I was invited in, I think, obviously it was because Chelsea and Matt Field, but also because the YouTube thing, I was allowed to go. So like the YouTube channel, and they already knew who I was and stuff, and like watched some of my videos, and they're like, oh yeah. Because there's only so much drifting content out there that resonates with, you know, people that are drifters. Like there's there's content that resonates like, the Gymkhana stuff to people that are just anybody that buy a Hoonigan hat. And then there's kind of our weird stuff that resonates more with drifters themselves. You know, a little bit less with the common audience. So we're kind of niche. I mean, I feel like at one of our one of our sit-downs we were showing me, you had a pretty good stronghold on a lot of the suggested searches for keywords and drift how-to videos. You're like That was the, Chelsea, not me. Chelsea did a really good job with that. I think it was drift behind the scenes because we talked about you did the S2000. If you typed in like drift oh. S2000 or you typed in drift Miata or you typed in drift. Yeah, I have some of the niche ones like S2000. We Which had that's very still good strong. Search. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like we have, I think I have four videos over 100,000 views, but still like that's $150 worth of ad revenue. <laughs> you know, per video at that level or $200, like it's not very high. The channel doesn't monetize well, even when you get larger numbers, you just get a larger audience. And I really like to like bring drifting and really my style of drifting to the larger audience. Um, I have a very different style than like most people. Most people, if it's Hoonigan, they're doing burnouts and trying to show people like massive burnouts and like YOLO, we're cool. Basically, well, I mean like, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just very, um, general purpose I guess you could say like that's not a drifting channel necessarily like Hurt and those guys enjoy drifting but their general audience just wants to be see burnouts and like monster hats and like famous stickers um, which there's nothing wrong with um, we're just more of like the specific grassroots drifters who don't really watch professional stuff so much they really enjoy like being out there with their friends and I equate it to like the skate park fe skate park feel where you're doing your thing and you're loving it and not every kid at the skate park thinks he's going to go pro or like has sponsor stickers on his board or like all that other stuff. And a lot of our guys do have sponsor stickers but it's because it's an expensive sport and they need help. But it's not because they have the illusion that they're all going pro and they're about to go sell you Coca-Cola products or take an interview like Oh yeah, man. We were in grade. Take yeah. a sip of their coke and then just hold it there for the rest of their interview. Branded out. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know the uh, Coca Cola, blah blah blah, blah blah blah, Toyota, blah 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 went went great today. You know it ran great. You know like, you have to feature your sponsors. Right. And I was gonna say, and that it's feels so insincere because like I have a lot of sponsors, but like what would be the purpose of me saying them all out loud right now? There would be no context in it, and I could say like. Garrett Turbo has, you know, like whatever, supported us and done something specific, but you have no context for that. And it's me just saying a sponsor. And with today's younger people, that actively works against the sponsor. So like that hurts Garrett if I randomly mention them because they're like, fuck Garrett. Like, I don't want to be advertised to. They need to organically see the product and like think like, oh man, that thing's cool. Like, look at that. Look at that turbo car, like, oh my God, that sounds cool. And then they want to know what it is, and then we tell them. Instead of just like, oh man, 
you should buy this product for no reason other than I say it in this video and I'm wearing a hat. It's a good way to look at it because I think this the is same what way. I have on my car. Yeah. Buy my junk. Yeah, sure. yeah, it comes off as very like cheesy and very like yeah. over. Yeah, overdone. And if the people have to go figure out what it is a tiny bit, they have more invested in the care and like. It's. A better thing, I guess. A better like, I don't know how to say that. This is better branding, essentially. Yeah. If you can get someone's curiosity versus you have to pitch it. It's my job as a media creator, con or media, media, a creator of media. There we go. It's my job as a creator, creator of media, to make the media cool enough that you want to know about something, and like you want to know what makes those cool noises, or like why the cars are on track for so long on those tires, or like you know something like that. Um, because without context for why that product is cool. And them wanting to come to it on their own, there's no point to talk about it. Because otherwise, it's just someone giving you money to say something that's not sincere. Yeah. And like, all of our sponsors are super sincere, and I've dealt with them for you know sometimes up to a decade, and they've been within drifting for a long time, and like it makes sense. Otherwise, it's just like spam. Everybody's so over spam. <laughs> Nobody wants to be advertised anymore. Too. Yeah. I agree with you. Everybody's favorite five seconds is a five seconds they get to skip an ad on YouTube. Yeah. Brought to you by Careless Apparel. <laughs> <laughs> Bam! Plug plug. Yeah. <laughs> but like everybody that's listening to this podcast knows what Careless is. You don't have to say it once. You already, they you know. already know what it is. Yeah. That's why you're here. You know what it is, it. and they appreciate the brand, and they want to be a part of it, or everything else. Or they're just about it because of the lifestyle or something else. Like, you don't have to say it 50 times. Like, the people already know and they're already plugged into the brand. Absolutely. One thing I want to say, now you know your people way better, but I would like to see some more of your travels behind the scenes. I feel like you go to gnarly places and... Is this seven-hour video not long enough for you? <laughs> That's true. I take you in the bathroom of some of those places. What? what? I literally <laughs> got one of my videos taken off of YouTube. I tried and, like, to find this one with Chelsea my... pissing. Yeah, his dick's not actually in it, but like you could imagine it. Uh, I'm filming him in the reverse camera on the side of a highway in Dubai, <sighs> peeing, which evidently is a felony and we could have been deported. But I thought it was funny and someone flagged it as porn, which like stopped my entire channel on YouTube. And got the entire channel shut down. What's that video wow. called? Uh, you can't see it right now. Oh, it's okay. in the background. I got you. Um, but basically, we just went to... A, and, like, people already don't like it because we went to the Grand Mosque, which is a very religious, like, Muslim site. And we did a bunch of stuff like that. So, like, the video just pissed people off in general, I think. Well, you have a Texas-based circuit. I feel like a lot of them are not trying to potentially see that. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, like, we, we film ridiculous stuff. Like, I don't really... I got you. There were some things I did have to delete recently from the Japan videos, but I won't say what they are. You'd have oh, to put a lot more on on the, on the recording. Yeah. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah. We'll go into that later. We can't post it now. Yeah. Well, there was a bunch post of illegal stuff that we can't really yeah. post because, A, it makes... I don't really care about looking bad because I'm way beyond that at my advanced age of not caring. Um... No, I mean, like, after you've See, been careless is for me. everybody. <laughs> yeah. Not caring with a K, folks. It's yeah. not caring with a K. Losey doesn't care with a K. <laughs> you know, that's... Okay, I'm going to leave that one alone, that joke. Um, anyways. Um, 
What were we talking about? You're oh, yeah. Advanced we have No, no, no. We have so much stuff that's already behind the scenes. Did you watch a seven-hour video? Honestly, I don't think so. Yeah, then you can't ask for more stuff. There's <laughs> no, enough stuff. In the that's the one where Adam LZ and Taylor Ray and all of us went to Japan. Oh, then I did. I watched it in part, so I'm going to be honest, because I watch it during our work yeah. day. It's honestly not to be meant to watch in a single part. It's meant to be in the background as like someone that went with us. There's yeah. you can just like put it on and if you're at a work day, you can like walk up and see stuff and it's just in the background playing. Hmm. Um I made it in a specific way because no one makes content that way. And um I made a five hour video and a two hour video there as well. And I think that people like that weird content. Well, I like stuff that you can put on in the background in general. Yeah. So that's good content I think. Cause not everybody's trying to lock down. I mean, some of the people, whether you want to walk around the house and clean it or do something around the office, like it's do something in the garage. Yeah. Like to be able to put something in the background that you don't have to directly be dialed into to understand the content, but yeah, you can kind of walk around, still be productive, and still walk away from something. I was going to say, and we're at an hour and 24 minutes, and it doesn't feel long to me at all talking like this. Um, and we're just sitting here chatting. Like there's so much stuff in that video that I'm not saying anybody will necessarily enjoy it if they go watch it. But, like, if you're into Ebisu in Japan and everything else, like, we go eat sushi, we go to Up Garage, we go to drifting in Japan, we, you know, we do all kinds of stuff. We go street drifting at night on the toge at, you know, 4 a.m. We go see all kinds of crazy stuff. We go to Tokyo. I could have broken it up into, like, 10 episodes, which Adam and everybody else do, and get more ad revenue. But I feel like the adventure is a little bit funnier when it's in one giant video and collected instead of in all kinds of little ones. And I'm not really about the ad revenue because I don't get enough of it for it to matter. Like, I just make stupid videos. Um, and I feel like if someone jumps in at part five and they're not super entertained because that wasn't the most, the coolest part of it, they're not going to go watch one, two, three, four, six, seven, you know? So I just put it in one big thing. Plus it has a cooler intro that way. Does it still break it up and do ads in the beginning or is it, or in the intermittently? Or I is can that put ads you? anywhere. In all of my videos, I never had more than one ad. That seven-hour video was the first one I've because Adam and Taylor were like, "You're friggin' stupid, Aaron. Like, put more ads in there. Put one even every thirty minutes, and there'll be fourteen of them." They're like, "No one's gonna like blame you for that." So I did put a few more ads in it, maybe like six, so like one every hour or something like that. But realistically, it doesn't affect the ad revenue much because the ad revenue, um, if anybody's curious, do you want me to break it down for you? Sure, yeah. Um, so my channel's right at about 2 million views right now. Um, I did not turn on ad revenue until about 12 months ago. Um, and my channel was not really heavily, like I just put stuff on it, but I didn't market it kind of thing like on my Facebook and everything. So I'd been pushing everything to Facebook video. And I changed it so like there wasn't really much traffic on my YouTube channel before about a year ago, and um, I think it's at right about two thousand dollars of ad revenue right now. Um, however, that sounds like a lot, but it's not because I pay my media guys a lot to shoot a couple hundred bucks a day kind of thing, um, and I have more than one of them. And I shoot all of my Japan stuff myself, but our Lone Star Drift videos because I'm hosting the event. I have somebody else shoot. We do a lot of those videos, so. I would say my ad revenue on YouTube recoups about 7% of my overall shooting costs. Um, so 
I'm very drastically in the hole on that. However, I do have some awesome, like, not on the site Patreon, but just people that are like Patreons that, uh, patrons. Yeah. I think Patreon. But the site company. is Patreon. Yeah. yeah, I have some patrons that kind of help out. And then I obviously make up all the rest of the money out of pocket. And because I get to go do cool stuff. But there are some companies like What Monsters Do funded my Japan trip last year. Um, I have some awesome companies that help out so much. And, uh, yeah, and careless to that list, Sam. We're working on it. <laughs> You're going to pay for my Japan trip? Working on it, brother. No, no, not working on it. Go get your checkbook. <laughs> Let's do I'm this. I'm going to call my CPA right now. No, get me a few of those things. Be careless. Just write a check. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. Shit or get off the pot. Yeah, Adam. shit or get off the pot. <laughs> Don't think about it. Just do yeah, it. Yeah, go get it. Yeah. We're putting you on the spot. Don't be a you're not, you're not moving very fast. <laughs> Pitter patter, let's get at her. Yeah. Um. Send Blue to Japan too, man. Fuck it. Do it. He's got a helmet now. Yeah. Custom fit for that big noggin. Dude, yeah. That's something I had to do. I got tired of just trying to squeeze on a freaking medium, like Evan, like an Evan-sized helmet. I can't just even to get a, medium. Just to get a ride along at Lone Star Drift. I, I went out and bought my own. 3X? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 3X. 3X for the dome. I had to get a blue visor. It's like my name and my color. Yeah. Might as well. Why not? Fuck it. Is your name blue? Didn't think so. That's why I got a blue fucking visor. All of my helmets are ones I found at events or places. My dude. I don't even buy helmets. I respect your style. I have a stack of them. Awesome. I those things and put them on. There you go. Well, you have no hair, so it's like, what if you know? It works. I used to have hair. This is just a recent thing, me not having hair. Really? I've been driving for a long time, 14 years. I've only not had hair for like two years. You knew me when I had I would hair. say two to three years, yeah. Yeah, about two years. You would I had a traumatic life like... experience and it all fell out. Society's going to get shaped up. Now, sure. before before we cut out of here, to revert back to the Lone Star Drift um, kind of family, who, who would you say are... And I'm, I'm not trying to get you to pick favorites, but I, I kind of want to know who the the guys who aren't winning events right now, but give them a couple years for them to develop to get some seat time. Who's going to be a force to be reckoned with the next few seasons, the next few years, if you will? Like and Lone Star like Drift? Mm. Uh, radio silence, sorry, one second while I think. In Pro-Am, I think that we already have a bunch of really good drivers, such as Harrison, such as Fielding, such as Jeff Kurtz, and a bunch of others that are fantastic, that are going to not... um, Like, any of them can win any weekend, depending on how things are going. Especially someone like Fielding. Um, He is really fast when he wants to be, and then he knocks himself out kind of thing. Mesker is more of like a robot where he doesn't screw up and he's got a really, really, really solid car and a mechanic and everything else. Yeah. And he doesn't have, I assume he doesn't have like butterflies in his stomach because it doesn't really matter because the kid already has money. This isn't some like breakout thing he's doing. This isn't some career. Like this is some hobby he has and he doesn't have to sustain it through winnings or like through anything else and like make it to the next level. Like... <coughs> kid can go do whatever he wants so he doesn't have to deal with a lot of that stuff um i don't know so basically a more of the same in lone star drift pro-am all those guys are awesome 
Um, I think the one where the people are really going to like pop up is street legal. You start seeing some people such as Patrick Carson, this Nick Bierman kid. Um, I don't shouldn't say kid. He's probably like fifty. Um, you have a lot of people like suddenly jumping up. There's a Corey Liberto kid. I was literally just going to say him. He's probably Austin. also almost thirty. I don't know. Um, but you have a lot of dudes that are coming out of left field that are driving really well. And they're in pretty basic cars, so like, it's hard to tell sometimes how good someone is when they're in a pro am car, because the cars like, are really aggressive. Yeah. Um, the cars can make up for a lot of, not that they're not great drivers, but Fielding's car is like a monster at this point. Uh, same with what's his name. Mesker, um, Harrison's car, like Harrison's just a really really good driver. And he, he doesn't, like, his car isn't really there to fill in the gap. Like, he was doing just as well in that stupid V8 Volvo. Um, kid's really good. Whereas, like, I don't know how well Fielding would do in that Volvo. But it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to drive it. He gets to drive his monster car. Um, it's kind of like Patrick, like you said, because didn't his old car, like, not have power steering? Because I remember he let a few people borrow it, and they're like, dude, how do you drive this? Yeah, that car's a mess. His beer can won um, his previous 2016. And car. I would like to say, like, Julian or somebody would be a standout suddenly, some, like, success. But Julian's been driving a long time. So, like, a lot of those guys are good, but they're going up against so many other good guys and crazy cars, you really don't notice which ones are jumping out. Whereas in street legal right now, the kids don't have to have a lot of money. It's like a super, super grassroots like skateboarding thing. Like just some kid can show up like Corey Liberto where they bought a $4,000 car, painted it basically and did some body work and now are like completely surprising us. Whereas a build for like Fielding or Mesker, if you took Fielding's time into consideration and gave it some like numerical value for money and the people that did it, Fielding's car is easily probably a $100,000 car. And Mesker's car is way over that, too. Whether or not Fielding put in free effort and, you know, his mechanic friends put in free effort, it doesn't matter because that's still, like, kind of billable hours. So even if they were making 10 bucks an hour, like, that car has a 1,000 hours in it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the car has a lot. Okay, it has more than a 1,000 hours in it. Some of the – but, I mean, like, that's because it didn't require that much. They just loved the car and they loved working on it, or they used to. Um <laughs> So the street legal is where you can see the guys pop in with so much less invested, so they're more of a surprise. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody doesn't just show up with a $100,000 car and I've never heard of them or seen them, and they suddenly surprise me like they can in street legal. Yeah. If they show up in pro-am, like I've seen them for the last five years as they slowly build this shit box. Yeah. I feel with <laughs> street legal, you, you get to see the guys make the cars work. Yeah, and it and it's because they have to. Not For the audience, by the way, Lone Star Drift has two different series: our Formula Drift Pro Am with unlimited cars, basically, and our Texas Street Legal series with super limited cars. So it's basically like two tiers of racing, and the Pro Am cars are way more aggressive than the Street Legal cars. All right, continue. Sorry, but with with Street Legal, it's it's more or less like the the drivers have to be better in a sense because the cars are a lot less. On the performance side? Maybe. Um, with, You'd be with, surprised, though. Yeah. The really fast, like, good cars are actually really hard to drive sometimes. Like, yeah. if, if a car is 1,000 horsepower, some be, people are like, oh, that's so easy to drive. You've got unlimited horsepower. But in some ways, you're like, god damn, that thing's fast. That thing's scary. I've driven some fast cars before, and I'm just like, nah, I don't want to drive that. Like, I drove 
Um, I'm good friends with Chelsea Denofa, and I was driving his E46 BMW around, um, his, like, Formula D car, and you're just like, man, like, this thing's so fast, I'm just gonna, like, screw something up, the thing's about to blow up, like, everything happens so fast, and, like, you're coming into the first corner an extra 25 miles an hour faster, you know what I mean? Like, whew, yeah. gets the heart pumping. <laughs> it gets the heart pumping. Yeah, I think I would be too, man. I mean, that's really different, and I don't think that's something that you can... I don't think it's going to be easy for the listener to grasp because they're like, oh, it's just an extra 25 miles an hour. But it's really different when you get it's behind the It's the last the 25 miles an hour that's scary, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um, it seems like with street legal, they have to make those cars work. You know, They can't just rely on... Like like you said, a hundred thousand dollar car. They're really working with what they have, and making it work, making the car perform. Yeah, it's great. I like the Texas Street Legal series a lot because I don't feel so guilty for people spending so much drifting. I feel guilty for it sometimes. Yeah. Like you're really? broke. <laughs> yeah. Most of the people that are in our series and are broke, it's their own fault though. Um, that does, that's not me being a jerk. If you knew the individual people and what they were doing, you'd understand. We have a lot of guys that are like unemployed in Lone Star Drift and just like slide by somehow without having jobs. And that's their ultimate goal is to never have a job, Cheers. which is commendable. I mean, like if you can make that work, yeah. I guess that's my ultimate goal. However, I work more than everybody has job. different dreams, right? Mm-hmm. My dream is to never feel like I have to go into work, that I just want to go do something so bad I do it, whether somebody pays me or not. Thank you. Yeah. Which is what I that. do. If I get sick of it, I don't have to do it. I do something else. And I quit. I'm with that. I, yeah, I can support that. I'm trying to get on that grind. <laughs> Yeah, it's spiritual idol. He's like, oh, see, I look up to you, man. Fuck. He's like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I think I'm out. Like, what? Like, ah, it's just not the same. Uh I've been to that point a few times, and I um, I think it was 2010. My car was kind of fucking up, and I wasn't enjoying myself anymore. And I was, I'd been on Dunlop being a sponsored driver. And I fell off of Dunlop, so I no longer got, you know, free tires, which I don't mind buying for tires, but, like, I built a car that was too aggressive, and, like, uh, it's hard to explain this to people that aren't car people, but I was going through, like, 28 tires a weekend, so I would have to go mount up all my own tires, I would have to do all of this work, and I had built something that was not sustainable for myself, where I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I didn't have any, but like I did D1 USA and I did Nopi and Nopi didn't pay me and D1 USA kind of shut down and my car was a complete disaster in D1 USA, but I was having such a good time, but the car was broken every event. I drove it one event without a clutch and we were just push starting it off the line in third and I would just drive the whole track in third. Like the whole car was a disaster. No one cared. No one was helping me fix it that I thought like I was hoping like I'm not a good mechanic so anyways the whole thing was a disaster I wasn't enjoying myself and I wanted to quit and I took a year off and my buddy Aaron Smith and I trailered around his Mustang and I did my normal hosting of events and like I just quit drifting myself and we had a lot of fun and it kind of got me back into it because I was getting to drive and do all the fun stuff without having to mount 30 tires without carrying them around like when you have to deal with 200 tires at a time 
you know, each delivery I was doing, like that sounds so much fun to some people, but like physically to pick them up, I'd have to go get them from a warehouse, load them all in a box truck, take the box truck home, unload them all physically, you know, like one at a time for 200 tires, stack them up, warehouse them, um, make sure that I was liable for making it to that event in, you know, some other part of the country and make sure the car was working. If the car didn't work and I didn't have good results, I was embarrassed. Um, I was probably not going to get to, that had nothing to do with why we were cut from Dunlop. It was just a budgetary thing and they didn't even know what we were doing because they have no idea what drifting is. And, um, you know, like it was just so much work and so little reward and the car was always breaking and it made me feel bad about myself. And then I kind of got back to the pure love of drifting, hanging out with Aaron Smith and we were just messing with his Mustang and doing fun stuff. And we were just going through a couple tires a weekend and, you know, having fun. And it was just like goofy and drifting should be some goofy, fun thing. And as soon as it like gets too serious and you feel like there's weight on your shoulders and you have to like win or you have to like make sponsors happy or you have to do so much physical labor of mounting tires if you're doing 28 tires and each tire takes you five minutes on and off that's how much time i don't even know it's ridiculous yeah it's 150 minutes or something the three hours per weekend of just mounting tires and remember that would also be another couple minutes of figuring out how to dispose of a tire or carrying it putting it somewhere restacking it after that you know some other place to go you know like so there's so much stacking. So you're a tire guy, not a driver at that point. Exactly. So I was spending six hours to eight hours at an event just moving tires and mounting them and disposing of them or doing whatever. That's on top of keeping the car working, on top of driving, on top of driving, like to the event, which sometimes the events would be 24 hours away. And there's events in Formula D for like guys that are pro two, like um, from Florida, the Njuku guys, they have to go from... I think it's like 65 hours of driving from Florida to Seattle and then back. You're dealing with like 120 hours round trip of driving on top of keeping pro level cars running. You know what I mean? Like you really have to be into that at that point. Like, and people don't understand that. Like you're doing an oil change each direction of the trip almost, you know? Like, oh my God. I even think about that. Yeah. I mean, like you can't understate... You really aren't because, you know, oil probably lasts a lot longer than that. But, no, but I'm putting it in perspective. you're maintaining the car. Yeah, you're maintenancing your tow vehicle in each direction, like everything so far. Like, you can't make it in one stint each way. You have to take, like, three days to make it, which means that's a whole week of driving back and forth, three to four days on location driving. You can't have a job. You know, like, that has to be your job, and you have to get paid to do that, or you will starve to death unless you're rich. And your parents pay for stuff. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I'm just saying you have to be lucky enough that your parents love you enough for your grandparents to leave you with a trust fund. Which no one loved me enough. Did they love you enough? No. No? Did they love you enough? Selling t-shirts. How's that going? (laughs) (laughs) Now trying to be a content creator and uh, designers of all goods. I went to my dad at 18 and I was like, Dad... What's money? It's like, get a fucking job. It's like, all right, yeah. Shit. You said shit me too, son. Yep. Um, so, sorry, I work for a living. I do too. Says that mustache. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. That collar on your shirt's blue. Yeah. Say, oh, yeah, brother. Yeah, sure. Evans is too, but I don't believe it. <laughs> so I don't believe it. <laughs> right? Wow. Stu drives a van. 
by choice. Living in a van. He drives a Yukon too, don't you? No. Not He's pimping that Yukon. Yeah. Pulls up looking like soccer dad. Right? Oof. No kids though. No kids. None that made it all the way to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! Yeah. (laughs) Keep cutting them suckers off. (laughs) Forget that. We don't have space for that in the budget. At least you got the t-shirts covered. Make there them into go. onesies. There you go. We have you, the onesies. You could use them as, you could use yeah. them as diapers. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, the way we're printing them out, there we go. Yeah. What's that, two, three a day? Not that bad. I've lost count. I feel like you me. should sell more t-shirts than that. Oh, no, I saw the wasted onesies if we were doing the diapers. Oh, okay, oh yeah, yeah, t-shirts a day. No, we need to be selling a lot more <laughs> than two or three a day. Yeah. Especially to keep this online store running. Okay, story for another At day. least somebody doesn't have to staff that thing. That's a good point. I've been thinking, this is funny, this will just take a second. So I bought a simulator, like in a set of course, a really fancy racing rig. And I have people coming over and like training on it. And I'm trying to get good enough to teach on it. But I was thinking about opening up a location where I could teach out of and have like two or three of them. And we would have people come over for like classes and stuff. And I was going to have like a studio type like thing, maybe put a drift car inside, maybe a little tiny coffee bar. Don't sell anything. Have it only open to people for free that are registered drivers in our series and maybe one guest or something. Um, but I could not figure out how to not go broke having that because I don't want to sell t-shirts inside of it because people might think I'm actually making money and it's pointless because I wouldn't be selling enough shirts. You know, like somebody would like be there for six hours and be like, hey man, I'll take a t-shirt. I'm going to help you out. You're like, that's not helping me out. I wouldn't even be making a dollar an hour at that point. You know, like, you don't even want to give them the false feeling that they're helping you out because it's not worth selling shirts at that point if you're making a dollar an hour. So someone can, like, put wear on a $4,000 simulator because the simulators are really expensive. Um, Couldn't figure out how to do it. And I was trying to sit there and think about it, and you're like, how dumb am I to have a storefront that has to be staffed with, you know, a person in it. Like, what year are we in? Like, you were just talking about having an online storefront. You're like, everything has to be online. Like, I can't do, an, like, a physical storefront, even to do something cool like teaching, because it's just too expensive. Like, I'll have to just do it all online on YouTube or something. Like Online retail's where it's at. Yeah, like, I can't figure out how to make it work work out. And especially if you have it even in a physical location, and I give it away for free, people are like, oh, man... I wish you were in Fort Worth, like Dallas and not in Fort Worth. And I'm like, it's 30 minutes away. You know, like, you're like, so I want to do cool things and I can't do them because of physical things, like limitations. So I have to do everything online, except for my physical events. People fucking drive from California for that. Because your events are the shit. Thank you. But I mean, like, people will physically drive forever to do those, but they won't do it for anything else. I don't know why they drive so far. I'm lucky about that. The experience. I mean, I used to drive nationally all over the place, so I get it. But, like, I'm very surprised we can do it where we have the same drivers consistently coming from St. Louis and California and Florida. That blows my mind. That's awesome. We have guys that move here from Florida. Dwayne Ramsey. Um, We had Josh McGuire move here from California. We have multiple people move here from, you know, like, many states away, thousands of miles. I don't get it. It's the promised land. I wonder how that worked out. <laughs> they moved here for Lone Star? Still working out. Yeah, they moved here just for the events. Wow. 
Because there's a lot of people that associate themselves with as being a drifter, and if they live in an environment where the drifting is not very good, it's very limiting, and they don't really like, they don't have friends to drift with, and like they really like they they're all in, you know, like they built drift cars, they've bought a trailer, they bought a fucking truck, like all of their finances are going towards drifting. And like maybe they work at a dealership or whatever, and they're not very like tied down to one specific area because their trade can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So like they might as well go move where like their hobbies rad and the people they like are there. Because like if you're trapped down in the bottom of Florida, you are nowhere near anything. Like you are as far away from everything as possible. You're isolated on a tiny little peninsula down there. Never thought about it like that. Yeah, everything is far for someone from Florida. Just like if you live in Seattle, everything's far. People are like, oh, why don't you go down to L.A.? You're like, it's 20 hours. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> they're neighbors. Nah. Damn. Well, I mean, Washington, like California, they're pretty close, but that's they're not. one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. Like the coast. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, boat. Yeah, that's the coast, the west coast. It's like, oh, yeah. Florida and New York are right next to each other on the same coast. Where? That would be a lot of driving. <laughs> it's glad I live in Texas where everything's far. Equally. It's like you like you don't describe a trip in Texas by miles, you describe it by the time. Nothing is oh, far yeah, that's like that's like three hours away. Yeah. yeah, it's like four hours away. Nothing's far away when you have tacos. Boom, boom, boom. Fuel City Plug. I drive down to Austin or San Antonio all the time. Doesn't matter, there's a El Fuego in Waco. I stop off, refill on tacos. I'm good. Another one in New Braunfels. <laughs> Said I map them by the taco distance. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You, <laughs> I absolutely do. <laughs> so how was that trip to Iowa when you went to pick up that minivan? I bet you there wasn't many tacos on the way to that. There was, there was no tacos. I had a McDonald's. I do not eat at McDonald's often. Only when we're in Japan and we have someone that won't eat sushi with us. We have to every once in a while go to McDonald's in Nihonmatsu. So they don't starve to death. And so also, that was the day. I mean, in Koryama. Why would you go to Japan if you're not going to eat sushi? Because you love cars, but you don't realize they don't have anything but sushi. And ramen? I could do ramen for a um, few days. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Japan's an island, isn't it? Last time I checked, they're an island. Yeah. So why would you, why would you go to a fucking island if you can't eat sushi? Because you want to see cars. I've never had sushi, but if I find myself in myself in Ebisu, if I just stumble upon Ebisu, I'll try <laughs> you, some fucking sushi. You like, think that until two weeks in, and you seen haven't seen a vegetable or anything, and like you're just still eating sushi. I love it, but like that's not a lot of calories for people that are used to hamburgers all day. <laughs> like they're starving to death and get mad. That's that's a true American. Like I just want a goddamn <laughs> no, no, no. cheeseburger. No, no, fucking cheeseburger, <laughs> damn it! Look at me. I'm yeah. not a big guy, and I double entree there like every meal. Yeah. I do that here too, though. <laughs> I double entree constantly. Word. So, like, if you're just eating like little tiny pieces of sushi like that over there, like 12 days in, you're going to be pissed if you're a big eater like me. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I manage. I love it because they have conveyor belt ones, and, like, I'll eat buffet. I'll have a stack of plates like that big. But if you're a hamburger guy, it's tough over there. Because you don't have carbs or anything necessarily, or fats, so you don't get full. You have like super lean pieces of raw meat, and if you're trying to eat to get full, and you're just like raw meat, you're just chasing the dragon. Raw meat, raw meat, 
Raw meat. Chasing yeah. the dragon. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say we'll jump like over that. to like beers and stuff to get full sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're just doing carbs, like trying to trying to do fluid, trying to fill up. It's not a bad place. I kinda like the sound of it, guys. Yeah. I'm a foot taller than, Yeah, I was gonna say I'm a foot taller than everyone there and got 40, 50 pounds on them kind of thing. Yeah. So like the average man there that's like a little dude is like Yokoi is a buck fifteen. How big is Yokoi? Oh, he's skinny. Yeah, he's smaller than Fielding. He's like two dimensional. I'm one eighty. Yeah. So like, and I I burn calories. So like, it's tough sometimes to eat enough. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Japan though, man. Japan's beautiful as fuck, and I want to see the um... their beautiful radio radioactive waters. <laughs> you know we're in Fukushima where we drift. That's really? where the bad waters are at. Fukushima is where the melted reactor is. We're nice. Like, we're like 20 minutes from it. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. It's nice and warm. Nice and warm. It just you radiates go, off you the go water. Show everybody? Yeah. Nah, they don't let you over there. Really? Like, nah. Yeah. They just like, let you drift by it. Yeah. It's beautiful there, though. I love yeah. it. It's a very, like, uh, culturally pure that sounds like such an evil thing now but it's not like it's it's an island so they're so segregated and like it's one community loving their country with like a lot of I don't wouldn't say they have so much national pride now but they have like national identity maybe so that nobody throws trash on the ground because everybody looks like their neighbor they relate to everyone they don't feel like people are foreigners like invading their lands or ruining their country necessarily so like when you work or when you wait on people or like you have pride in everything you do there it's a very different type of culture it's very interesting like it obviously has its big downsides where like the united states has such better food for the most part because we have such variety we have so many different types of people and so many cultures and so many ideas and so many cool things that we're probably a lot further along in those ways but like for having a clean country that they care about and they want to keep peaceful and nice and you know like I don't know it's really cool there because of that were you the one that mentioned they don't have a lot of trash cans so you almost they like, have no trash cans so you like have to carry your trash around which makes you more responsible yeah. for it almost. like if you have a drink somewhere you need to throw out everything like when you're inside of an establishment such as McDonald's or everywhere everything gets recycled and if you walk out the door with a cup there's nowhere to put it afterwards um, you would literally have to take it back to your hotel room or walk it into another place to throw it away. And then that place, you'd have to like very awkwardly throw it in one of their trash cans. But like, there's no trash cans on corners anywhere. Um, there's no trash cans typically out at all. Like it's just recycling bins specifically for the things inside like a McDonald's or inside of an establishment. I use McDonald's just because people understand it. And yeah. I don't know the names of anything else. But um yeah, like, you do not have trash cans like you do here. Wow. Not a thing. You also cannot pump your own gas. You also cannot do a lot of things like that. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Different type of place. Ready for the trip, 2018. Yeah. 2017, your you're paying for my trip this fall. I really appreciate it. Boom. <laughs> so that's been I will wrap my yeah. car in careless. And, Mustang uh, and the trailer. No, my Japan car. Oh, okay. You're paying for my Japan trip. That makes sense. Yeah. You want to know what's sad? I can't even take your money. Why? Because I already have a t-shirt sponsor for that trip. What oh. monsters do. Yeah, but see, that's why Careless is going to... I can't call another ambassador out. Careless is going to raise the bar, 
and find a way to up it in 2018. All respect. I will show you the number that they pay me, and uh, you can up that. I say that respectfully. I hope to. Uh In a non-competitive manner. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to raise that? Yeah, we can. Can you? We can try. You saw what the numbers were, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You want him to draw it again? <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll give you a pen, Lucy. That's where we're at, That's right? Great. Yeah. Yeah, but can you write that on a check instead of a piece of paper? <laughs> Said with your name below it, yeah. yeah. And what was your CPA's vaccine uh, yeah. address again? No, you can just write it directly to me. And your account too. number. Yeah. I don't need an account number. You just write me a check. Go in your room. <laughs> shoo shoo. Recording's over. Yeah. Bit I'll better. work on it. I'm working um, on it. Get that marketing budget up. Yeah. That's difficult for a company of your size because you want to do fun things, but then uh, reality sets in. Oh, no. no That's sure. like just the Lone Star Drift apparel stuff. Like, it doesn't really bring in money of any substantial size. Like, it's just a marketing expenditure for me. And, like, um, a lot of companies do that such as myself, which has to make it even more difficult for a t-shirt company such as yourself to compete with everybody that's just like blowing out shirts as marketing apparel and stuff. I I don't know how it works. I'm still figuring it out. I don't know how it works. I just take a learning curve a day at a time and hope that the moves I put into place three to six months ago are going to make this today successful. Because nothing I do today affects tomorrow. It's everything I did six months ago that's affecting the waves of success we're getting so as long as i kind of stay on top of that i feel like we'll be all right yeah but by no means do i have it figured out because i mean we're what we're in apparel co- we start off selling apparel and now we're doing online content and stuff like that so you know what's interesting this might go on too long since we're already an hour and 57 minutes but um i watch other companies do stuff and like a successful company like hoonigan is taking over like they're looking at how YouTube algorithms work. So they're posting daily right now. They're doing very specific things to gain a large audience with very low, I guess, expenses on their part where they're having other people come out and do burnouts at their facility and stuff like that so it doesn't cost them much. And that was something Chelsea and I had been talking about a long time about just like having people do burnouts or something like that. Um, every day, do a burnout or something like that. And we chatted about it, and you're like, this is such a dumb idea. I wonder if it would work. And then it does work. The daily yeah. transmission. Yeah, and you're just like, I don't get it. How is such a simple idea, like, work into the YouTube algorithm where they're getting huge hits? It's very, like, applicable to a common person where they can watch a one-minute burnout of, like, some car, and they're like, oh, man, that was rad, and it's very shareable to their friends and all this other stuff. And, like, all the stuff I do, which tries to be, like, story driven with our drivers within our series and like not just a random burnout but like you know cover an event or something like that takes me 40 hours to edit one video so it's not a sustainable model to post all the time you're like oh i'm doing it so wrong i should just do like a burnout a day from lone star drift oh my god this is actually a thing i should do Mm. you could have people literally have the ability to do this and then i guess they could get crazy like doing a burnout in their trailer in their garage but regardless of what you try on your side, such as podcasts and any type of quality like conversation you do, all of it's so forgettable compared to like a burnout. Yeah. Drives That's me insane. We, I think it's t-shirt. We one. do burnouts. We do burnouts around tracks. Against other cars. Oh, yeah. Around sweepers, yeah. Door to door fucking burnouts. Yeah, multiple people on track at one time, but it's not as relatable as like some turbo diesel truck doing a burnout. There's some Baja bug. 
Just kick that. No, there's a dog just put two paws into my leg. Oh, I'm sorry. She does that. It's Molly. okay. It's a very cute dog. Molly. She's Be nice. Come here. She wanted it in my lap, but there wasn't room. <laughs> I need to go do some donuts in a drift car now. Make a video of it. Have it you go have viral. a drift car. Yeah, it's currently needing some bow, TLC. Bow, bow, bow. But I got that welded diff, and we're good to go. You would actually get more views off your van. Put strippers on the van. Dude. You want to know what broke my heart? What? Just recently I learned the stripper pulls turn. Oh, like at the base, and that's what makes them easy to spin? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either, but that makes complete sense. So when they grip it, that's how they spin in circles? Yeah, all they do is hang on to the pole. Those cheating little hoochies. They just sit there. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. So you just go up to a strip club and you spin it? Or how did you figure that out? I don't know. I don't go to strip clubs. There was You hung out with the strip So no fielding in his infinite quality of life um, (laughs) had a stripper... I guess was linking me someone on Instagram that's a stripper with Lone Star Drift shirts on her. Mm. And we were discussing something and we realized the pole was spinning, not the person. I, I don't know why I ever thought someone's hand would slip on metal now that I think about it. Like, your hand does not slip on metal. Yeah, and if you if you could, you would just fall to the ground instantly. Like, there's no world in my head that a stripper pole works like I thought it was, like, with when I was younger. Yeah. Think about it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, if you would turn around... Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Interesting fact of the day. Yeah. I appreciate that. How does everyone think a stripper pull works some other way than it does? But I don't have a lot of experience with stripper pulls. Amen. I honestly I just yeah. forget that women will show you their vagina for a dollar. Because, like, that's actually a really good value. There's normally a cover charge. Oh. I don't know these things. <laughs> I heard, I saw it in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's normally like twenty, then the dollar. But yeah. So the Same girls thing. don't even get the real money; they get a dollar. Yeah. I don't know. How, they're getting so screwed by inflation. Fielding told me about it. Fielding did. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Fielding's such a great guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much love. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. There's a stripper somewhere in Abilene or something. I don't know. She wears. Hi. <laughs> if uh, you're listening. Works. Yeah, thank you for your uh, tagging us and your spinning things on polls. It might be Lubbock, but thanks for wearing the shirt. Candy, yeah. I appreciate your love out there, hon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know her name. I see all this stuff all the time, like people posting shirts places or whatever, and I'm like, how did they get that shirt? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they come to the events or like they get mailed out every once in a while. I don't really ever mail them or sell them online, so I don't know how they get around. People loving your products. I guess. It works out. I shouldn't sound depressed about that. Yeah. And we got those new key tags. They can come purchase at the next round, man. Come out to Mineral Wells. Get that Lone Star Drift Texas Street League fighter jet key tag. I just think about how much effort everything is. Yeah, it's a lot. Like, I think about t-shirts, and I'm like, I've printed, like, thousands of those suckers. (laughs) Like, I had to come up with designs. I had to, like, talk to somebody. I had to yell at them about the printing going badly. I had to choose t-shirts. I had to drive back and forth to get them. I had to pay shipping. I had to yell at somebody about shipping. I had to store like several hundred pounds of shirts at a time. You're like, I'm sorry, we don't have smalls or 2XLs. <laughs> like, you know, inventory the damn things. Sell out of sizes. They get mixed up, so then you gotta fold all these shirts. Yep. It's a blast. Everybody wants a free shirt. Mm-hmm. And then I assume they use them as hand towels. Everybody wants a free shirt. I can vouch for that. Yep. Everybody, Everybody wants, wants a, free, a free, shirt. free shirt. 
It's not free. It costs me money. Exactly. Pay up, sucker. <laughs> you work in the booth sometimes. I take pride. I take pride <laughs> in the fact that I have every color of Lone Star Joe shirt, and I paid for all of them. Oh, yeah? Just, you know. You paid retail or wholesale? Doing my part. No, I paid, I paid full price. Damn. Thank you. Getting them Probably. tallies up, man. Hey, I, 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 I fold t-shirts on the weekend, dude. I know yeah. how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I know how it goes. Don't we all? Yeah. I peel stickers on my my spare time. People think I'm like small business owner guru. It's like, nah, beer in my hand, peeling some vinyl on a Friday night, dude. You need to teach children to do that. That's a, not a bad concept. I didn't have children to do it. That may look weird hey, having we a series of younger right? children. That's yeah. like child labor. No, you can make No, there's an OSHA poster in the yeah. back. That's like, it, nah. there's a loophole with that. If they're your children, it's good to go. There you go. You get them a little tiny silk screening machine. <laughs> put them to work. Like little mini squeegees. <laughs> I think they'd be more expensive than your current staff, though. Children? Yeah. <laughs> Probably would mess up take a lot. breaks for naps. We get nap time around here. Fucking A. <laughs> Boss man doesn't let me get fucking nap time. You need to play with a puppy kind of time. I'm playing with a puppy right now, actually. She's just over here just getting getting loved on. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> well, August 5th, August 6th, it is going down. Mineral Wells, that is round five? Yeah, round right. five, Mineral Wells Airport. Look it up on Google's Maps. You can switch to satellite, and you can see our like tire marks from the satellite, which is pretty cool. And that's August 5th and 6th. If you need more information, go to LoneStarDrift.com, click Events. Listen to me sound like a radio producer. Right. Um, bring a helmet and bring sunscreen. Bring a chair, bring a cooler, bring a hat. Um, it's all weekend long. If uh, I don't want to tell you what's going on Saturday night, but if you're there Saturday night, we have free stuff there for you. I don't want to explain it because uh, ask me in person why I won't tell you. And there's camping and cool stuff. And if you bring a helmet, you can ride along in the cars. You do need to be over 18 to ride in the cars. And anyone under 12 is free. So if you get your parents to drag you out, they can hang out and whatever. You said the cost of admission, obviously. Cost of admission is $15. That gets you in free all weekend. And Saturday night, it gets you something free that you could put in your body. Wow. <laughs> Compliments of Slide Life from Austin, <laughs> Texas. Yep, but don't say what it is. Because I don't want to deal with the repercussions. Put it in my body. Yep. There you go. Cheers. Well, this is Big Blue signing off with... Evan. And Aaron Losey, thanks again. Thank you, guys. You've been great. Appreciate you coming to the Careless HQ, man. I think this is the first time we've ever broke two hours, and it really feels like 45 minutes. I really like your warehouse, too. It is enormous. I had no idea you guys were on the scale. I mean, like... I can't believe this looks like an Amazon facility. It's a fulfillment center. It is it was, beautiful. I don't know how y'all push this much product. Did you see our go-kart check out back? I did. It was amazing. Yeah. Y'all could literally fit it inside. This place is so big. I really like it. Uh, Evan it's is awesome just like... the basketball court in that. So no, Evan is balling that. out of control. I can't believe how much he makes on these shirts. Yeah. He is doing amazing. You should buy 10 more. That's right. <laughs> I love it. So jump on over to the shop tab and... Uh, Buy yourself a few extra shirts, you know? They wash well. You're advertising to people that already know what's going on. Hashtag Kalos Family will get you 10% off, though, your full order. I will let you know that. Wow. That's what you get for listening to the uh, the podcast. Right? Well, thank you, CF Steak, Michael, for your editing efforts.